I think we've just written a hit avant-garde play. My apologies to the ghost and estate of Paul Wind. We're never going to be received by the king now. Kill the mush! <laughs> Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's pretty clued in on its exploring equipment. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. Then why do you need other women? I run an all-female sketch troupe, Tom. We've discussed this. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Yeah. Well, now you remember. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty funny. I know, right? <laughs> com. <laughs> Welcome back, cousins. It's time to uh, close the door on our coverage of Mr. Selfridge for this hiatus. That's right. Episodes 9 and 10, according to the uh, correct <laughs> right. British broadcasting schedule. <laughs> yes. Uh, so episode 8, the, the two-hour season finale yeah, here, the, here the, in the States. The dum-dum version. <laughs> right. But before we do that, it is time, of course, to catch up on telegrams from our cousins. Absolutely. Our first telegram is from Cousin Kelly. Not to be confused with this Cousin Kelly. <laughs> this is a different Cousin Kelly. All right. Dear Kelly and Tom, salutations. I have been a fan of your podcast for some time now, but have yet to write in. After obsessively re-listening to all of your Downton Abbey review shows, not to mention your James Cameron Titanic hiatus shows, in the absence of anything new Downton related to tune into of late, I have taken to a new TV series that I think may interest you both. I am writing in with an urgent request. I have just finished series one and two of BBC's uber-popular Sherlock, I'm sure you've heard of it, which stars the ever-fantastic Benedict Cumberbatch and the stalwart Martin Freeman and was created by Stephen Moffat of Doctor Who fame. I have been dying to hear a discussion of the series ever since I began it, but I've had little luck in finding anyone willing to talk to me about it. I have since looked on iTunes to see if there were any Sherlockian podcasts to fill my need for analysis, and I found the field sorely lacking. I did, however, happily stumble upon your brotherly podcast, Boris Gorn Swords, review of the show, loved it, but felt their commentary on episode one all too fleetingly. This show does not tie in directly to anything related to the Edwardian era, unless you count the fact that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's original works were published years ago, and would have been around during the time of Downton. However, the show is broadcast in the States by Masterpiece Mystery Theater, or something like that, on PBS, much like Downton. Dan Stevens is also a well-known friend of fellow Brit Mr. Cumberbatch, so there's a link as well. I love your guys' take on Downton and would love to hear what you make of Sherlock. It is truly a superbly written British program and provides an endless string of clever mysteries and charismatic acting. Here's hoping I'm not the only one out there who's hoping for a Sherlock review, and here's to a greater hope that you take this under advisement and strongly consider doing an episode or two devoted to the show during the current Downton hiatus. Cheers, you both never fail to make me laugh and your banter is so witty it hurts. You are both hysterically clever, but you knew that. <laughs> love, Cousin Kelly. P.S. Does it also sweeten the deal that there's no Laura Linney introduction for the Sherlock episodes? Uh, number one, no, actually. We miss <laughs> Linney. We do. You know, you don't know what you've got till it's gone. <laughs> it's, it's really true. No, She's the, the introducer we all love to hate. It is my understanding, though, that Alan Cumming oh. uh, is the, the introducing person for uh, Masterpiece Mystery. Oh, my. Uh, he is a delight. He is a delight. Love him. Uh, but, yeah, this is the funny thing. I mean, beyond the fact that we're really not too interested in covering anything on this show that isn't strictly Edwardian. Right. Well, we, we feel, or, you know, at least in the, the time period of Downton Abbey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, 
we just don't want to watch that show. <laughs> it's it's odd, yes. Well, I mean, for me at least, part of it I think is the Stephen Moffat connection, right? Which, We've probably covered before, but honestly, I can't remember what I say on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. There's too much. Yeah. Uh, no, I really liked Coupling that he did, mm-hmm. but I have just hated his Doctor Who right. since, since he took over. Yeah, since we took loved o- the episodes that he wrote. Exactly. So we, so we, we like were... him as a writer, but apparently not as a creator slash director type person. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, that said, I can certainly see how, you know, his approach... I mean, I can certainly see how our hatred of his Doctor Who might be specific to the combination of him and Doctor Who. Yeah. You know what I mean? And uh, what's his name? Matt Footballer? Yeah. The guy who plays the Doctor now. Right. And that, you know, bland ginger nothing that's his companion. (laughs) Oh, now it's different. Now it's that Annie from Julian Fellowes' Titanic. Oh. She's like some kind of android. Okay. I I haven't been following it very closely. (laughs) Clearly. Do androids dream of electric bow ties? <laughs> of sonic screwdrivers? <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, so we appreciate your very, you know, you hit a lot of points. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you made a very good case. Yeah. Uh, also, we're mad at Dan Stevens, so <laughs> we don't want to help out any of his friends. Right, that's true. And I just find Benedict Cumberbatch to be creepy as hell. <laughs> I know so many women who get their panties in a twist over him, and mm-hmm. I just, I don't get it. I know. Everybody wants him to cumber their batch. And... <laughs> no, I, and I love Martin Freeman. Mm-hmm. Like if it oh, was, yeah. If it was just some sort of like Garfield without Garfield situation <laughs> right, where, where it was, was just, just Watson. Just, it's just Watson wandering around being, you know, amazed at nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say, you pull that tea so marvelously. How do you do it? I, I think we've just written a hit avant-garde play. Uh, I think you're right. <laughs> uh, the other thing, though, and we covered this, I think, on uh, the Facebook page or on Twitter, mm-hmm. but uh, Martin Freeman is the partner of the woman who plays Miss Martle, mm-hmm. whose name escapes me. Right. <laughs> uh, but he actually, he was in the seance scene in the last couple of episodes that we reviewed. And we, I, yeah, we, we totally missed him missed complete- it, I mean, which- they, they put a big fat mustache on it. Oh, you know? right. We are like, what? Oh, oh, I guess it is him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, because uh, a cousin did point that out to us and we were, you know, properly, uh, you we know. were, we were chagrined. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, no. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for listening. You have an amazing name. Yes. You can spell it correctly. <laughs> it's true. Next, we have a telegram from the Dowager cousin Jackie. How exciting. Indeed. She writes, Dearest cousins, it was lovely to see you in person recently. I hope your airship voyage home was not horrible. Sorry I haven't been around much these past weeks, or is it months? I have lost all sense of time, what with being half-hermit these days. Part of that is because I haven't seen Mr. Selfridge yet. I missed the first few episodes on PBS, and since they don't have a good rerun schedule, and their online player is the shittiest piece of shit to ever shit, I haven't watched them online either. However, I do plan to catch up once they're inevitably put up on the Amazon Prime streaming service. Then I will spew my thoughts. The other reason for my absence is because I am busy looking for a new job, since I was made unemployed, not of my own volition. Boo. However, at least I will not end up destitute in the tea house like what's-her-name who stole that stuff on Mr. Selfridge because I recently came into a sum of money left to me by my now-deceased grandmother. So, I guess I'm technically an heiress? An heiress living in a basement apartment. 
there's an actual point to this, and I am getting to it now. You keep mentioning how much you love the parts of Mr. Selfridge that are about the early attempts to modernize the retail store experience. The how and the why of things that we take for granted while shopping now, and how they got started back at the turn of the 20th century. There are two books about this subject and their modern applications I think you'd find quite interesting. They are Why We Buy and The Call of the Mall by Paco Underhill. Why We Buy is probably the ur-text about the modern retail store experience and explains in concise and interesting language how and why the 21st century store-going experience is the way it is and that nothing about it is accidental or incidental. There is a reason why the clearance racks are always in the back of the store. There is a reason why the shit they really want to sell is always to the right of the store entrance as you walk in. There is a reason why higher-end stores have so much open floor space relative to the areas occupied by merchandise racks and tables, and why said racks and tables are not jam-packed with stuff as they are at, say, Dress Barn. The Call of the Mall takes what he explains in Why We Buy and expands that to the whole mall experience and explores our modern mall culture and the mall-as-town square phenomenon that was so huge in the 80s and 90s, our childhood, but is now on the wane thanks to the internet and people our age and younger who are so over the mall experience because of the convenience of shopping from our laptops in bed. He explains what works about mall culture and what doesn't, too few bathroom and shopping carts. Both of these are engaging reads and well worth the time, and ever since I read them back in college, I haven't been able to stop analyzing my own retail experiences when I go to a mall. As always, I look forward to every podcast and to seeing you in person again. Best wishes, Dowager Cousin Jackie. Well, thank you so much for writing in. We did have the pleasure of spending uh, an afternoon, a luncheon, <laughs> Indeed. if you will, with Dowager Cousin Jackie when we were visiting family. And we're very pleased to announce that she'll actually be guesting on this podcast uh, in late September or early October. We're not sure exactly what the timing will be. Right. But uh, we are going to be covering Titanic, The Legend Goes On. Oh, my God. I know. <laughs> if, if you don't remember, it's the animated <laughs> Italian cartoon <laughs> with all of those ethnic stereotype animals right. and that random jewel thief. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're really excited. <laughs> we, we are. Uh, we're really excited. Actually, if you go to my Facebook page, which is, I think, facebook.com slash Anakin. And you can friend me or not. I think it's public. But mm. Jackie posted, like, there's, like, three of them? Like, I haven't yeah. even managed to wade through all of the descriptions <laughs> Right. But suffice to say, we're really thrilled mm. uh, not only to hear from Cousin Jackie and get her excellent book recommendations, uh, but to be welcoming her onto this podcast Indeed. in the very near future. Mm-hmm. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> Next, we have a missive from Cousin Christopher. Dearest Cousins, I thought I would take a moment to drop you a note, or rather, write a note, that I will then have some lowly servant deliver in true Downton fashion on my hopes and dreams for the next season of Downton that will be a turning point, good or bad. One, it's time that Lord G gets some appropriate family beatdown as opposed to genial understanding. He is a bad leader, and it's time he gets some bloodline opposition. Here, here. <laughs> two, I want more concentration on two particular characters unravelings. McGee. I want to see McGee go kind of off the wall. Maybe some sort of imbalance or become a drunk. Maybe she could go all in love and become a coke fiend. I know you all don't like her, but for some reason, I have always had a soft spot for McGee. Just like the soft spot in her head. <laughs> <laughs> and I want <laughs> We really should read these more thoroughly before we try to do them on air. And I want her to get a chance to play some more raw material. She really won me over last season, so I know she can do it. 
Anna. I know you all love her. I do too. But Anna, to me, has been so one note this entire series that it is starting to bore me. She had a little bit of gumption in season one, but since then it was tired, weepy, distraught Anna trying to free Bates. I kind of want to see Anna maybe deal with some issues of attraction to someone else, or maybe she become she could become lesbian lovers with the new ladies made for McGee. Maybe start dabbling in witchcraft. I don't know. It could happen. <laughs> To hell with Christmas episodes. I want a Halloween episode. I mean, think about it. How many people have died in that place since just the beginning of the series? <laughs> there is no way that place isn't super paranormal activity style haunted. I know it's cheesy, but I like cheese and it complements everything. Patmore told me so. <laughs> Hoping your hair is always glued to your boobs when needed, a la Lady May, Cousin Christopher. <laughs> yeah, uh, I definitely agree about, you know, LG, mm-hmm. Lord Grantham needing somebody to just really kick him in the arse yeah uh and i mean i think it'll be interesting because you know he no longer has matthew as his ally right right even if branson is going to be the agent for the estate now they've always had kind of a contentious relationship and i don't i don't see that that's entirely fixed you know what i mean right like it's all you know there's only so many times you can catch a cricket ball. Yeah. <laughs> is there? I don't understand the rules of that. Game. I, nor do I. Because you got to know what a crumpet is before you play cricket. <laughs> and I I liked McGee more in Series 3. I think uh, we both, Yeah, again, agreed. don't remember what we've said. Right. But no, I mean, the the thing she went through and we were, we were mm-hmm. very impressed. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if, if Rose is a permanent fixture, that might open some interesting things up. Yeah. Um, you know, she's going to be dealing, you know, we kind of know from some of the... Uh, things we've been seeing coming out about casting and just sort of mm-hmm. teasers. And, you know, I don't even consider this spoilers. You know, it's just if it's in the press material, it's not a spoiler. Right, right. You know, we all right. know, you know, Mary's back on the market. Right. So you know, McGee's dealing with that. She's going to have two grandchildren in the house. Yeah, and then uh, whatever's going on with Edith. Right. She might be out, you know, gallivanting. She might be. You know, rouging her knees and whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that would be cool. And I agree. You know. The Christmas special, I understand that it's a British tradition. Right. But it's like, how many fucking Christmases do we need to see at this place? <laughs> They're all the same. They just play that, you know, Snapdragon. Right. And, you know, annoy Sir Richard Carlyle. <laughs> God, I wish he would come back. Oh, man. Wouldn't that be, like, he could, like, be a friend of uh, that editor? Yeah. And, like, Edith would see him and it'd be, like, a whole thing. And they right. could get hammered and talk about what a bitch Mary is. <laughs> What's that I hear? I never really liked her, you know. <laughs> I just heard a thousand keyboards clacking <laughs> with the, the Edith, Sir Richard Carlyle drunk fest fan fiction. <laughs> uh, yeah, and my hair is always glued to my boobs, just all the time. Right. You know, you never know. <laughs> you just never know when you're being filmed for a masterpiece classic TV series. Yeah, it's true. Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Scott, who writes, Cousins, I have an amazing discovery to share. In Lindy Woodhead's book, on which the series is based, she mentions that Rose Selfridge and her daughters ran a hospital for wounded American soldiers at Highcliffe, not High Clear, Castle, during World War I. This castle in Christchurch was leased by the Selfridges and used as their country home from 1916 to 1922, and Harry spent roughly $1 million renovating it to suit his tastes. I'm wondering whether we will see any reference to this on future seasons of Mr. Selfridge. In any event, I was sure that you would find this intersection of Downton and Selfridge history fascinating. Evidently, Downton Abbey was not the only castle to be used for such a purpose. Your Kentucky cousin again, Scott. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, it, it is a surprise. You know, I never was under the impression that that was an unusual right, thing. Right, right. I mean, you know, it, it's true in any war. 
you know, in any country, the great houses are always converted because they need the square footage. Right, right. And and I think that um, I'm also just interested to see Harry in a castle, like, just sort of... Right? <laughs> just running around, changing all the clocks. <laughs> no, see, it'll be five minutes earlier in this room, but then you go here and it's time travel. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we have a telegram from Cousin Beatrice. Hello, Kelly and Tom. I have been a fan of Downton Abbey since last year, around the same time you began your podcast. I love you guys. I remember you referencing EdwardianPromenade.com, which compelled me to follow Evangeline Holland on Pinterest, my daily obsession at Edwardian Dreams. Her wonderful information helped me to write a research paper for my English class last year, and with her help, I received an A. Anyway, I always look forward to your podcasts and the interesting things you talk about, like Black Edwardians, Fashion Backwards, Tom Repeats History, everything. As you can see, I love the Edwardian era. My friend, Emily K. Murphy, has written a book based on the Newport Society during the Gilded Age called Kissimmee's Newport 1894, which is an amazing read. Highly recommend it. I love you guys so much. You make my day each time I listen to you. I cannot stop laughing. Your Cora voice is just priceless. Also, I'm in drama club, and whenever my directors yell at us, I imagine hearing your Mrs. Patmore voice. Yours truly, Cousin Beatrice. <laughs> Thank you, Cousin Beatrice. Yes. I think we mentioned Kissimmee's Newport on our last podcast. I believe that's But in correct. case you missed it, that is available to mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure Evangeline Holland will be delighted to hear that her tireless efforts in bringing us all of the information available about the Edwardian period uh, has been so helpful yeah yeah uh, and we do actually we have a pretty large population uh, of our cousins who are high school students yes. and i got a telegram which i unfortunately did not transcribe the name of the person <laughs> who wrote in but she actually started a website she's forming young people for downton abbey and the website is www.ypfda.weebly.com and i'll post that link and i will also you know credit uh, right. this Nameless cousin. Yes. Uh, I apologize. No, I mean, she really did uh, uh, as much as any cousin we've had. You really? Know, that's, that's true. And and yet uh, <laughs> remains nameless. So Yes. Well, uh, she's an anonymous sweetheart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, also, Cousin Beatrice, Tom and I were both in drama club, and we can completely relate. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of the director. Indeed we can. Uh, if... <laughs> My, my little it's get better it gets better moment here is that uh, if you continue acting as an adult, the directors don't yell at you anymore. It's true. It, which is they uh, can't. Right. <laughs> You're all adults. <laughs> yeah. <gasps> Next, we have a telegram from cousin Carrie, who writes, "Dear cousins, I just got your part in your most recent podcast where you say that you two are atheist. I myself am sort of Catholic. I went to Catholic school for twelve years, married Catholic." And now, once in a blue moon, my husband and I go to church. I say sort of because I vehemently disagree with the church's stance on most things. My husband and I are very liberal people. I go to church to feel connected, but have left in the middle of Mass when the priest started talking about the election and how we should vote. Now to the main reason I am emailing you, cousins, is because I want to thank you for the way you handle how you talk about your atheism, which I support wholeheartedly. There are a few other podcasts that I listen to that one or more of the podcasters are atheists, and they talk about people who are not like them with such disgust and distaste that I have stopped listening. I believe everyone has the right to feel, believe, or act the way they want, but to not make others feel stupid. So thank you again, and I will continue to listen till you stop. Your very happy cousin, Carrie. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. We try very hard not to upset anybody. We do. No, I mean, we don't want anybody to not feel welcome in our podcast. No way. Yeah. I mean, if you don't like it, fine. You don't like it. Yeah. But we're not, you know, 
don't let the palm court hit you on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, we uh, we have our opinions and we express them, and we always appreciate uh, feedback on those things. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we actually have a pair of telegrams from Cousin Mary. Ahoy, ahoy, cousins. I don't know what your travel plans have in store, but should they include France, Iceland, or Maine? (laughs) I have to recommend you take the opportunity to watch the Mary Poppins stage musical. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to watch the next-to-last performance of the U.S. touring production, and I enjoyed it immensely. I don't know if you're aware, but Julian Fellows was involved in the creation of the stage version. He was consulted for behavior as an expert in Edwardian culture. Cousin Mary says there are some minor spoilers in this next section, but uh, they don't seem like a big deal to me. So if you don't want to listen to them, just (laughs) until we're done. (laughs) The cook, Mrs. Brill, is very similar to Mrs. Patmore. She talks of, who do you think does the work? Fairies? And goes, constantly at the poor footman. Mrs. Banks is a former actress, in her own words, a not very good one. At Mr. Banks' insistence, she is trying to move her family up the social ladder, but no one, no one, cousins, how sad, comes to the tea she tries to host. When Mr. Banks tries to explain to Mrs. Banks how serious losing a job is, she says crap about, but you will still have all the important things in life, me and the children. He looks at her like she is fucking stupid and points out that they will be living on the street. Jane and Michael are much brattier in the stage production than they ever were in the movie, much closer to how they were in the books. And Mr. and Mrs. Banks were very clear that they could only afford to pay the smallest amount of wages. The nanny had to sleep in the nursery with the children and only got four hours off every third Thursday. Mary Poppins held out for every second Wednesday, six to quite late. So I'm surprised Katie and Anna didn't quit sooner. Thank you very much for the many entertaining hours I have enjoyed listening to your podcasts, Cousin Mary from Alaska. She wrote again. (laughs) Good day, cousins. I am perhaps unusual in that I am listening to the Mr. Selfridge podcast without having watched the series. But I was listening to the latest and want to clarify a point. In the scene with George and Kitty, where you mentioned that Kitty says, well, he is lucky that she likes cats and humbugs. You say that she is referring to George as a humbug. A person can be referred to as a humbug. That is true. But earlier, you said that Kitty's secret admirer had sent her a box of hard candies, which you identified as whorehound. My theory is that the candies were humbugs, as that is a type of hard candy. Again, I have not had a chance to watch the episode myself, so I may be wrong. Your cousin in Alaska, Mary. Uh, Well, thank you, Cousin Mary. For your due diligence, you have been awarded Cousin of the Week. Cousin of the Week. Cousin of the Week. Congratulations. Wear it in good health. Uh, That is an excellent point about the humbugs. I did not know that there was a candy called humbugs. Yeah, I did know that, but had not uh, thought about it. Well, I think we think of people being humbugs. Right. You know, because of Wizard of Oz. Well, and... uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, Ebenezer Scrooge uses humbug as like you know a, gen- a general yeah, like an exclamation. Yeah, you know, an expletive sort of. Yeah, he's he's referring to sort of all of human existence yes, as humbug. Indeed. So, uh, yeah, and actually, I am surprisingly very interested now in watching the Mary Poppins stage musical after that description. Yeah, well, I forgot. Or didn't realize, you know, you just sort of assume that it's just the movie, right. you know, but it's well, not. Well, I even knew that it wasn't. Right. I mean, the fact that Julian Fellows was a consultant, I didn't know that, and that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And I just, you know, the the little snippets that Cousin Mary told us about, I think, are really interesting and add some some fun wrinkles to the story. Yeah. 
And with that, we have reached the end of telegrams from our cousins. Indeed. If you would like to contact us, uh, you can send us a carrier pigeon or a tweet. <laughs> we are at five Maggie Smiths on Twitter. That's the number five. You can email us at upyoursdownstairs at gmail.com or just search up yours downstairs on Facebook and uh, like that page. <laughs> So without further ado, let's jump into this finale recap of Mr. Selfridge. Yes. We start just a little bit too late to see sexy times between Monsieur Leclerc and Miss Towler. And I'm wondering, because he gets out of the bed and you kind of see just like, just like, it stops right where his ass would start. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, in Britain, do they get a little a little butt cleavage I, it's... from from Mr. Leclerc? Did you, cousins? <laughs> cousins, have you seen Mr. Leclerc's butt? <laughs> if so, we want to hear your story. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> that was almost the opening was the podcast <laughs> that's in love with Mr. Leclerc. <laughs> but it- Miss Towler is getting dressed to go to work, and Monsieur Leclerc is uh, trying to sexily talk her back into bed. Yeah, I used to do that to you all the time. <laughs> it's it's true, and, and it worked. And and she is, uh, you know, mildly annoyed yes. as she does have to get to work. It is like her job and everything. Well, and she points out he can just swan in whenever he feels like it and claim he was off being artistic somewhere. Yeah, and French. Yes. And, you know, she has to show up and keep her position. Yeah. He can just say, I was uh, otherwise occupied. <laughs> they're like, oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> You're French. You must mean it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the other thing that's interesting about it, because she's just putting on her scarf and her hat, and she's got her whole, the rest of her outfit on. I mean, wouldn't that have taken, like, a good 20 minutes? Maybe she did that and then was like, oh, I'm leaving, and then he, like, pulled her back into bed or something. I guess so. Or maybe like- she just dresses when they're done having sex. <laughs> she doesn't have to do it in the morning. <laughs> that, that, that could be, yeah. Uh, but in any case, she, of course, goes on, and, and uh, he, he first... <laughs> notices that a strand of her hair has fallen out of place. And Old sex hair toweler. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and so she, she pins it up. Yes. Although it still looks pretty uh, pretty disheveled to me. It, it does, as will be noted in the next scene, by good old Fat Thomas. Oh, Fat Thomas. Victor Caliano. Oh, Fat Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, wham a lamb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fat Thomas, wham a lamb. I thought we were done with that. We're not. <laughs> Never! <laughs> uh, who runs into Agnes walking into the store and engages her in some sort of conversation. I just love ever since she started banging Monsieur Leclerc, how whenever she talks to Victor, it's like she's talking to a puppy child. Uh, yeah. She's like, oh, good for you, Victor! Well, she's always surprised every time she sees him, too. It's she's like, like, oh, are you still a thing? <laughs> right. I assumed you'd been written out of this show by now. <laughs> no, you see, uh, my vagina's busy. <laughs> no vacancy. Um, but yes, and, and at the end of that conversation, he uh, straightens up yet another strand of her hair, which, by the way, immediately falls out again before she even gets to no, the store. No, right, because he didn't, like, you can't, <laughs> right. it doesn't, hair is not Velcro. Right. It, just because you just, put it, it. Like, it's not like you were sticking it to her breast, then it would have stayed. <laughs> Yeah, everybody knows the female breast secretes an adhesive. It's called modesty. <laughs> we then see Miss Bunting, who seems 
happy. Yeah, she seems in good spirits. Yeah. She's wearing some of, you know, old Mrs. Dead Ginger's clothes. <laughs> right. Uh, and she is holding a note that she has addressed to dear Mr. Selfridge. I think it, doesn't it say uh, Mr. H.G. Selfridge? Does it? I think so. That's fair. It would be weird to write Dear Mr. Selfridge on the front of it. It would be. It's I not don't a know Beverly what... Cleary book. Yeah. that w- <laughs> It is. I'm not sure why I wrote Dear there. Yeah. Uh, I think just to remind myself that it was a letter. Which, okay. You know, fair enough. In any case, it's yeah, addressed to she, Mr. Selfridge is the point. She seems like things are on uh, on the upswing yeah. for old, old Miss Bunting. All right. So nothing to fear there. Then we see Harry and dumb Gordon. Ugh, fucking Gordon! <laughs> Kill him! Uh, which scene exists to inform Gordon, as well as the audience, that Sir Ernest Shackleton is coming to the store. Ooh, you love that guy. I do love that guy. Listen, you guys, Tom has the biggest boner for <laughs> Ernest Shackleton. Like, when I first met him, all he would ever do was read books about Antarctica <laughs> and talk about how we wanted to live there or, you know, live the life of the Eskimo in Alaska. Right. Uh, I like it cold. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Some like it cold. <laughs> yeah, there's no bugs. Um, but <laughs> All yeah. the seal blubber you can chaw. <laughs> right, so that's less appealing. I've, <laughs> I've, I've come around to your point of view on the inadvisability of living in Arctic conditions. <laughs> but I still like Ernest Shackleton. And I still, I mean, it's just, you know, his stories are fascinating. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. So I like... Dumb Gordon was excited to hear this news. <laughs> but you were less dumb. Right. In fact, you're quite smart. Uh, yeah. Back at the Selfridge estate, we see the uh, the female members of the family are all gathered in the, the drawing room or wherever. Um, there is a piano being practiced by uh, the non-satanic Violet. child, Violette. Yeah. yeah. Beatrice is on the floor drawing a pentagram. <laughs> right. Uh <laughs> Yes, and uh, Grandma's standing over the piano, and a uh, Fraser walks in bearing a bouquet of flowers for Rosalie. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh, Rosalie. I smell a rodent. <laughs> and, and you are correct. Rosalie, of course, is excited because she's dumb. Um, <laughs> but Rose takes the flowers from her and the card, asks Fraser to return them and to refuse any other deliveries from that address. And Rosalie, in typical teenage fashion, runs out of the room in a huff. Yes. I don't want to even be in this stupid family, she doesn't say. (laughs) But we get the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rose then tells Harry about what has transpired uh, and Harry is understandably upset. He's angry, and he's yeah. like, "You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. I turn into Ari Gold. <laughs> Blankets up." <laughs> uh, yes, and he is threatening various harms to Roddy Temple, to which we uh, wholeheartedly agree. Yes, punch him in his stupid rat mouth. We we would love to see that happen. We really would. Fingers crossed. Uh, but he also is a bit concerned about the relationship that rose and that rodent had with each other and she's like no no nothing happened right and it's like yeah just keep denying it that's going to clear everything yeah totally clearly i think it is yeah i don't i you know what i i feel that this is the last we will ever hear of old roddy the rodent temple hooray great let's move on (laughs) at selfridges mr grove is uh perturbed he is he's like my ginger sense is tingling <laughs> it is because we're given with nothing it's just him looking around the store conf- like upset it's like he smelled a fart <laughs> i 
don't think that was me. Was it from accessories? <laughs> we told them no farting on the sales floor. <laughs> it's in their contract. It probably is. Yeah. <laughs> that- Passing of wind. Grounds for dismissal. <laughs> That was Bunting's real mistake. She had racked up a bunch of warnings by tooting her way through, uh, oh, fashion. She was in fashion. Yes, she was. She farted up all of the tartan. <laughs> Duchesses were offended. <laughs> I say. <laughs> I was raised to never pass wind at all. <laughs> That's I'm, why my cheeks are so puffed out, you see. I'm in so much pain. <laughs> and the corsets, you just wouldn't believe. <laughs> Uh, but it, he is he is upset, in fact, because uh, most of the staff has not, in fact, arrived. And as we know, Selfridges generally does run like the proverbial clockwork. Indeed, yes, it is. Uh, and and Mr. Selfridge comes up to uh, angrily demand of Mr. Grove where all the staff is. It being well no, into opening they, hours. They didn't open until nine oh five. Yes. And as we all know by this point, that shit opens at nine o'clock sharp. Right. Unless Harry fucks with the clocks. Right. <laughs> In which case, your guess is as good as mine. Oh, right. <laughs> Mr. Crab comes up. Yes. You know, to join the conversation. Oh, and, uh, dumb Gordon is also there. Right. Because, you know. For a very He's good the poochie of this show. <laughs> he is. Somehow, you know, Eyeliner and his whole crack team were like, okay. <laughs> Gordon's the goods here. Whatever Gordon's not on screen, everybody should be asking, where's Gordon? So let's just stick him in a bunch. Like, he's just hanging out in Ellen Love's dressing room. Like, hi, Pa! So Mr. Crab comes What's up. What's that powder, Pa? <laughs> Can I have some? Let's get hamburgers! <laughs> P.S. We hate Gordon. Mr. Crab's contribution to the discussion of where the staff might be is that there has been a breakout of dysentery. <laughs> right. Eliciting when... really condescending looks from both Harry <laughs> and Mr. Crow. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, they're all going to be taking that back if it turns out it really was dysentery. They'll probably all have it well, within the day. I That's mean... how dysentery works, <laughs> man. It goes through you like a, you know, an Arby's value meal. <laughs> yes. This is this brings to a close our dysentery discussion. Aw. <laughs> That's discussion with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> It'll be a new recurring feature on an upcoming podcast, Horrifying Diseases. Oh no, we'll call it disgusting with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like Liza with a Z. It's gonna be great. We'll get zero downloads. All kind of songs. Oh, come on. People are weird and bored. That's true. <laughs> you know, all the hypochondriacs will love it. Well, that's true. They're uh, they're prime podcast listeners, too, you would think. Yeah, you would think that. Mr. Selfridge uh, is just still, like, livid yes. that these people aren't here. And I'm like, dude, nobody has sold. Like, what are they supposed to do? Right. Like, you know, if... I mean, it's weird that so many of them are late. Right. But it's and they like, well, it's the, and they grill Miss Martle. Yeah, they, they go, go over her to and, poor fucking put upon Miss Martle. <laughs> right. And he's like, "Where the hell is your staff?" And she's like, "Dude, I don't know." Yeah. And he's like, "If I find out that my staff is off at some London spectacle, I'm like, you've got the market cornered on London spectacle. <laughs> right. You've got Ernest Shackleton. Like, what else is going on? Yes. And like, they all like this is just no. What, what do you th- like? And look, I understand being irrationally angry. But there's right. no reason to inflict on anybody but Mr. Grove and Mr. Crab, yeah. whose jobs it is, 
you know, them and Blankensop to, you know, absorb all of his ire. Right. Well, and then Miss Martle is like, I'm sure they wouldn't do anything like that, right, Mr. Grove? And Mr. Grove is just like, well, I don't know what to think. It's like, she's uh, a little backup here. Come on. Like, she's a very good employee. Yeah. She just never a, stole anything. Just as She fellow, was on time. As fellow employees, when the boss is on a rampage, you got to help each other out a little <sighs> bit. Anyway, uh, Mr. Selfridge then this, says... That, by the way, is the nicest thing that Mr. Grove does in this entire episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Listen, that dude's name is Ginger Mud on this podcast. <laughs> it is. Spoiler. Yeah. So anyway, then Mr. Selfridge decides it's time to roll up the old sleeves. Right. And get his huckster on. A little Yankee gumption. Yeah. So, you know, he and uh, Mr. Crab both assist. Uh... <laughs> Oddly, we don't see Mr. Grove rolling up his sleeves and pitching in. He's no. he's probably, you know, uh upstairs fretting about something. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, uh <laughs> Mr. Selfridge helps out in accessories and he's helping some woman who's looking for gloves to wear with a, a gray suit, but she thinks everything's too conservative. Yes. So Mr. Selfridge, uh who apparently has some sort of red glove fetish, <laughs> uh, is like, here's these red gloves. And, you know, Gordon's there trying to help out. And he's like, well, what do you think? That's what my pa always says. And then she punches him (laughs) right in the throat. Who is this horrible child? Why is he allowed to address me? Well, and then she's like, I'm just glad to see child labor is making a comeback. (laughs) But this is absurd. Yes. Uh, But she she does like the gloves. She's like, yes, these will go well with my horrible dress. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Crab has to help out in... uh, He's in fashion, right? I bl- yeah, yes. yeah. Okay, so he's in fashion. And then this woman comes up and she's like not audible. Right. She like can't speak. So Mr. Villiers is like, what? And then she's like, oh, you want the garment that dare not speak its name. <laughs> yes. And uh, Mr. Crab is then summarily sent away to help out in accessories. And Miss Martle sent over to help in fashion. I don't know how they couldn't have foreseen this eventuality. Well, it's a fair point. But I mean, Crab's not a good fit anywhere. That's not his thing. No, it really is not well, his and, thing. And what you forget is that uh, the the way that was introduced is that Mr. Velius was just off uh, right. talking to people and uh, also suggesting that in another lifetime she might have been British chess champion. There's some history there. Yeah. I don't know. I want to see the prequel, you know. Yeah. Uh, Revilius plus one. I don't know. I couldn't <laughs> think of a good title. Right. Well, we'll work on it. Yeah. But, uh, but so then Mr. Crab comes up. And Ravishing Revilius. <laughs> no, it's not bad. Mr. Crab comes up and is like, Miss Revilius, can I sp- – uh, how does he say it? I forget what he says, but it's so suggestive. He's just like, uh, can I – I need you for a moment. And they give – it was just, Who, Mr. Crab does? Yeah. When he calls her over. Like, and then it's clear that that's what it was about. But he was like, I need you for something important. I, I, I do not remember this. Oh, I remember it. Uh, I missed it. I was like, wow, I guess that's just a little fan service for all the Crab Villiers shippers out there. <laughs> uh, the other thing that we elided is that Miss Towler is helping uh, Monsieur Leclerc with the Shackleton window. Yes. Maybe I've got this screwed up, but usually in retail, you want to have the window done before the thing is happening as a promotion. Right. Uh, whereas they seem to just be doing it the day of as if they didn't know. I mean, maybe they didn't know because, I mean, Harry does spring it on Gordon that morning. Maybe maybe they were going to do it earlier and Leclerc just didn't feel like it. He was <laughs> like, we... It was just like, uh, in Paris, this is how we do it. (laughs) I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. This is how we do it. (laughs) This is how we do it. (laughs) 
And by it, I mean sex. Yes. Uh, then we cut over to Miss Martle, who is in fashion, holding up a big swathe swath? Uh, it's called a bolt. Well, yeah. A bolt of fabric. Right. And it's a tartan. And the, the way that cut, my immediate impression was that that was what the underwear was going to be made out of, <laughs> which struck me as odd. Uh, but- uh, some ladies like to do it uh, like the Scotsman. Do they wear tartan underwear in Scotland? I don't know. They have sporins. <laughs> they, that, if, they, that they the do. The movie Brave led me to believe that nobody wears underwear. The, uh, yes. Uh, but in any case, she is attempting to sell this tartan uh, as part of some outfit for you know her the, the customer that is there. Which sounds amazing, frankly. Right. Like, yeah, Miss Mardle is a top-notch saleswoman. She is indeed. She, because Miss Revilius has this hard edge. And she's very clearly a good department head, and I think she's probably a very fine saleswoman. But Miss Martle has this very human touch yeah. about her. Yeah, it's true. And and she d- seems to have the customer on the verge of agreeing when Miss Revelius, like... In- S- literally swoops in. Yeah, with a bolt of gray fabric, saying that she has found just the thing. This worsted wool. I'm like, it's called worsted. Oh, right. Who wants it? Yeah, bring me some bested wool and we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and and this, at this, the customer is just like, oh, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll get some coffee and think about it. Guess what? She ain't coming back. She ain't coming back. No. And it's like, Mr. Villiers. Thousands and thousands of Lasore 60 second fixed kit demos at Crabtree and <laughs> Evelyn. Where they're like, I'm going to go down and get some waffle fries at Chick-fil-A and I'll be back. I'm like, they're never coming back. <laughs> Indeed. And Mr. Villiers, you don't, you don't intervene until you know what the play is. Mm-hmm. Have you not seen Glengarry Glen Ross? Apparently not. I she don't... doesn't get invited to first night's time. <laughs> That's true. And, and then, so, you know, Miss Martle and she get into it. They do. Because, uh, you know, basically, Mr. Villius is like, uh, you need to listen to what the customer wants. Uh, and Miss Martle's like, uh, did you not hear me just trying to upsell that bitch on a drawstring purse mm-hmm. and a jaunty little beret? Yeah. Uh, so they're getting into it. Although it sounds pretty civil to me. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it, the tension is there, but, you know, they're professionals. Right. They're not, like, yelling. Oh, oh, here's Mr. Grove. <laughs> right. Thank God Mr. Grove is on hand to come over and tell them to stop fighting with each other. Right. And, like, the implication is, like, you're just as bad as that red-headed wench and that plain-looking wench and accessories. <laughs> uh, but Kitty finally blows in. Yes. And uh, comes in and she explains that, uh, I forget which station, but the tube has been stopped. And right. there was a huge delay. She was able to get out because her carriage was not in the tunnel yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, she presumably got out and, like, ran all the way to work. She right, does seem right. really, you know, yeah, flustered, she is. although her hair looks great. Well, and uh, she didn't get late last night. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> she did not. Yes. And so, you know, in in a few minutes, you know, the rest of the staff comes pouring in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Mr. Selfridge is apparently entirely recovered from his apoplectic fit yeah. of earlier and is standing at the door with dumb Gordon, you know, <laughs> greeting them. And he's saying, oh, you know, problems with transportation. They can't be helped. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> right. Like, nobody wants you to talk to them right now. They're trying to get to their jobs. Yeah. You know, because he's there because, he, you know, they're all apologizing, which, right. of course, I mean, like, that, well, yeah, that's I mean, why that's, he's there. Yeah. It's very annoying. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and they say, you see, Gordon, it's important for you to tell your employees how important they are to you. 
Thanks, Pa. Uh, I was just planning to kick my employees. <laughs> uh, speaking of kicking your employees when they're down. <laughs> yes. Old Ginger Magoo <laughs> walks up to Mr. Selfridge bearing a note of some kind. Yes, a uh, note and, he, and a very somber demeanor. He looks stricken. Yeah. And he says, Mr. Selfridge, uh, the station master contacted you personally, presumably through Blankensop. Right. And he said, you know, the, the holdup on the train was the result of a body on the tracks. Yes. And they identified the body through her personal effects. And on her person, they discovered a letter addressed to Mr. H.G. Selfridge. Yeah. Uh, turns out old Bunting got all dressed up to go throw herself onto the tracks. Yeah. And... As Mr. Grove is saying all of this to Mr. Selfridge, I'm like, Gordon's right there. Yes, he is. Gordon, I wish him ill. I want him to get the chicken pox. Right. But like, I'm like, this is a child. Like, you can't talk about this in front of him. Because then he's like, he answers my question, but be like, Pa, why, why did she fall onto the track? Right. Gravity, shut up. Uh, she's probably drunk, son. Yeah, although uh, the reason they stage it this way is because Doris is in the background and this yes, way and Doris she overhears. Gets to, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know it's it's upsetting. That is not at all in that first scene with Miss Bunting. Well, because she, she had the note, and I thought, oh, maybe she's going right. to go drop no, this we... by to Mister Selfridge and finally make a personal appeal. Yeah, you know, because I've been pulling for old Bunting, right? And and it didn't make a difference. Yeah. She couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And she, uh, she is now dead. Yeah. So, uh, so Mr. Selfridge is as, uh, emotionally affected by this as Jeremy Piven is able to convey. <laughs> right. You know, we assume that Mr. Selfridge is extremely emotionally affected. Yes. As Jeremy Piven stops making facial expressions. <laughs> so we get the idea. Uh, up in his office, Gordon says to him, but pa, if she stole from you, didn't you have to sack her? Which, Gordon's making sense. Gordon is making sense. Like, red alert people. This is kind of the problem with this whole plot line. Mm-hmm. Because with the end, you know, we're, I'm just going to jump ahead here. Yeah, yeah. Because you've presumably seen the episode. Right. And if you haven't, why are you listening? <laughs> Although apparently several of you are, so well, knock yourselves out. If you're listening to this pod, we assume you'll listen to the end. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, but you know, at the end when he's like, this can never happen again. But I'm like, I don't know. Right. Like, what else could you have done? I mean... I, I don't know. Yeah. Because... And I mean, sure, in the moment, you know, you're going to feel that way, but there's... there Yeah. She, you know, I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. Again, I'm right. pulling for bunting. Yeah. You know, Mr. Grove later says, you know, maybe I should have just written her a reference. Mm-hmm. And if he... You know, I think that would have been fine. Yeah. Or, you know, just, you know, even Doris, like, impersonating you know. <laughs> Anyway, I think there's a way it could have maybe come out right but, yeah you know but it also wasn't the kind of time when people could ask for help mm-hmm. i'm yeah. sure particularly in the middle class it was kind of exceptionally difficult right because you know everybody's working for their money it's not as if anybody you know has just a ton of scratch lying around yeah uh anyway but uh Gordon Gordon's up in that office and and there's you know like a father son moment right which the subtext to me is just Jeremy Piven saying to Chloe Grace Moritz look Gordon we're the worst actors on this show so we've got to stick together and <laughs> uh, then mustache arrives good old mustache yes. with a spring in his step and a song in his heart <laughs> yes and and comments about Shackleton he's like think of it you know 90 miles from the pole and he turned back to save his men 
and Mr. Selfridge says, thanks for that exposition. Yeah. Um, but the talk about Shackleton being this great leader has, has struck Harry dumb. He sent Gordon out to the, the soda fountain. Right. Uh, even though Gordon's clearly still traumatized. <laughs> Not, nothing nothing for post-traumatic stress disorder like soda. <laughs> I'll have a sarsaparilla and depression. <laughs> but Mustache, as it turns out, has been sacked from his position at the newspaper because they've got a new owner. Mm-hmm. They, he said his face and his politics uh, <laughs> weren't acceptable. And I'm like, like got to shave that mustache, I guess dude. so. But, but was, that, was that what he was told? He's like, listen, Mustache, get in here. I don't like you and I don't like your face. Get out. <laughs> I don't like your politics. <laughs> I think I think mustache just. You're an all right guy, but your face. Oh <laughs> no, I I think I think he just said he hated his face and fired him, and then he was like, oh, "Must be my politics, really." <laughs> he is pretty obtuse. He is. Well, so he goes in and, and basically asks Harry if he can be his PR man, right? Which Harry kind of needs. Yeah. Uh, but Harry has drifted off into this bizarre reverie. Yeah. Uh, where he's thinking about how we didn't help Mrs. Blankensop, so he's now going to not help the man who helped him build this fucking store. Indeed. And look, I'm no friend of mustaches. <laughs> right. Don't li- I don't like his face, and I don't like his politics. <laughs> yeah. But this point, to me, is baffling. Yeah. It's absolutely well, baffling. I mean, again, I mean, to me, the clear, the clear idea of the scene is that Harry just is not even hearing his voice. Like, he, no, no, he no, is no, not no. even... I, I understand that. Right. But, I mean, isn't it this same head-up-his-assness that got him in... I, and I felt that way the first... Well, but, like, couldn't he have at least explained himself... Right. Like, no, that that part I do agree with. I mean, he was just having a complex conversation with Gordon. Yeah, yeah. About this topic. Yeah. Like, this guy's talking about other things. Right. Anyway, so, it's it's a little frustrating. There's, yeah. there's a whiff of narrative economy going on here. There is, there is. For the next scene, I have written, gross, gross, gross. Oh, it must be a Mr. Grove scene. Exactly. <laughs> poor Doris. Poor soft head, dumb, dumb Doris. Yeah is crying and right man oh, yeah. i gotta hand it to her crying at work is a bitch yeah. it is so hard to do yeah oh man i did it at work the other day yeah i did not realize how quick the bathroom turnover was at my <laughs> office. like i'm in there crying and like 15 people <laughs> cycled through fortunately i was in the handicap stall oh wow well. so nobody knew what was going on well played uh sorry if i have any handicapped workers <laughs> at my job but i don't think we do yeah um and yeah, I mean, she's just, you know, she just had to find a corner and it's not even much of a corner. No, it's, I mean, she's in front of a glass window. Yeah. <laughs> like anybody could see her. Yeah. So Mr. Grove comes over and says he was looking for her and she immediately apologizes says, I'm so sorry I wasn't at my station. Mm-hmm. And he sees that she's been crying. Right. And, you know, he, uh, oh God. Okay. It should be a nice scene. Right. Because she says, oh, you know, she guesses Miss Punting must have lost all hope. Like, duh. Right. Like, I mean, I, okay, look, it's hard to cope with somebody committing suicide. Yes, yes. I've seen this episode twice. <laughs> right. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> all this is true. But he, uh, he's like just so weird about yeah. this whole thing. And he's like, oh, well, you know, Miss Bunting always enjoyed your company at the tea hut. Let's go there. Yeah. Well, it, just just the look that he gives her. He is so ugh. He yeah. makes Roddy the Rodent Temple look like a good idea. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Just a skeezy dude. Yeah. I. Ugh, I just, yeah. Ugh. I, I'm, I'm a guinea. I don't like right. him. 
Agreed. Anyway, but, you know, Doris agrees with yeah. her silly little Miss Piggy face. <laughs> and so they're going to go have a cup of tea in honor of Miss Bunting, which, again, nice thing to do. Mr. Grove. Gross. Right. On paper, this all seems fine. Mm-hmm. Back at Selfridge Manor, <laughs> Rosalie is sitting on the stairs reading a book. Like you do? Uh I'm assuming this is my theory. That's the unfair step. <laughs> and every step in the Selfridge house has been assigned an emotion <laughs> by Mr. Selfridge. <laughs> when you're feeling uh like life is unfair, you sit here. When you're feeling hungry, you sit here. <laughs> Gordon, you get the Gordon step. <laughs> Thanks, Pa. I hate you. <laughs> uh, but, but Rose Rose is coming up the stairs. Don't they own like 50 chairs? Like, eh. <laughs> Look, Tom, she's a teenager. She's yeah. sulking. All right. And she wants to be really inconvenient. Yeah, that's true. Well, because I was going to say, why doesn't she sulk in a room? But she wants everybody to know she's sulking. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. Nobody can tell you're sulking if you're in your room. That's a fair point. So Rose is such a good mom. Yeah. Ah. Uh, She's just trying to explain to Dum Dum Rosalie <laughs> right. that, like, hey, creepy dudes coming to the house when nobody's here behind mm-hmm. closed doors uh, with young girls unchaperoned. Again, though, Fraser, like, doesn't he have orders on the? I mean, right. I guess he does now. Maybe it was just one of those things where, like, oh, it never occurred to us to put a lock on the liquor cabinet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know. I don't understand why Rosalie doesn't understand the rules of propriety. Yeah. They cannot possibly have been that different in Chicago. Right. Not that different. And I mean, it's, you know, it's just time immemorial. People are like, hmm, teenage girls and penises. Let's just, (laughs) let's put as many barriers there as humanly possible. Right. It is. Like even today when they're made of polyurethane, like at least (laughs) we know there's something. (laughs) Uh, No. And it's like Rosalie's only just come out. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, it's how, clearly you know, unacceptable. Look, we all understand, you know, young puppy love, which is, you know, she's yeah, yeah. clearly oh, in yeah. love with this guy who's just using her to get back at her mom. But, right. you know, she doesn't know that. Right, right, right. But it's like, she, you know, I don't know if she's thinking. Yeah, like, her feelings never, for him never, are understandable. But, but she's also never spoken of him as anything but her drawing tutor. Right. You know, so there's a part of her that understands the impropriety, I think. And yeah. isn't necessarily considering him as a marriage prospect. Yeah, I guess that she's thought of, she's decided for herself that drawing tutor is like a sufficient um reason yeah. for them to be together anyway she tells rose that she's got this horrible pain in her stomach like a knife every time she thinks of him and i'm like no it's appendicitis <laughs> seriously get her to a doctor <laughs> you seem like you've got a good one <laughs> yeah and well and because rose says i'm not saying your feelings aren't real mm-hmm. uh she's not saying that they are real either. no but Cause, she's cause look, but yeah she Have you ever good... tried to reason with a teenager? Uh, no. Teenagers and toddlers can't do it. Right. I have, I have tried to reason with toddlers. But no, I mean, she, Rose handles it very well. Yes. So back at fashion, Miss Martle is bringing Miss Revillius a bunch of accessories for uh, Monsieur Leclerc's window. Mm-hmm. Although, why does he need accessories for his... Anyway, look, not important. <laughs> uh, Miss Revillius apologizes... Or, you know, expresses her condolences for the loss of her colleague. Right. To which Miss Martle responds, friend. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was weird because it was like, why why didn't she do anything for her? Mm-hmm. You know, I, if they were friends. Well, I mean, I think, you know, I think they... They, I don't think they were friends. Friends. Mm-hmm. I think. I think they were probably you know work friends. Right. I think they they got along well and she liked her. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, I don't know that they were necessarily, you know, be do, doing things, you know, seeing each other outside okay. of work or anything like that. Fair enough. That's my speculation. That's fine. But, yeah. uh, you know, Miss Revilius is, is moved by that. She mm-hmm. is, you know, because she's a very cold woman. Right. I mean, I don't dislike Miss Revilius. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, as I said, very hard. Yeah. Again, what were her childhood chess dreams that got dashed? I I'm know. I'm like so curious. I don't know. It's just, it's just like a whole heartwarming Billy Elliot thing. I can just see it. Except isn't there like a happy ending and he gets to keep being a ballerina? Well, in the Billy Elliot version, she gets to, she does get to play chess. Oh, okay. And she beats the spoiled rich kid at chess <laughs> in the county chess championship and everybody's happy. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, get and, right. And the coal mine reopens. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then at accessories, Doris drops a glove stretcher. And Kitty's like, that's the second glove stretcher you've dropped today. Which is like, who cares? Like, it's not, it didn't break. She just dropped something. Don't and had you to- drop shit all the time? I yeah. know I did in retail. <laughs> right. Then we damage it out and take it home. <laughs> uh, but yes, Kitty, Kitty then goes on to say that she feels that they should be more, uh, you know, correct with each other now that she is senior sales assistant and that she would now prefer to be addressed as Miss Hawkins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doris is already having a rough day. Yeah. She don't need your attitude, Kitty. She don't. And it's just weird to me where... I think Kitty could be an interesting character, but nothing she does ever seems to be motivated by anything in the plot or in human nature. (laughs) Right. Well, I see Kitty as constantly sort of performing. No, I agree, but it's just weird that she chooses this opportunity because I don't think you ever... I mean... Did the whole staff find out about Miss Bunting? Presumably. Right? Because, I mean, Doris overheard it, but, like, doesn't Kitty know about it? I would think. I mean, to, well, right. And so what I interpreted that was, was Kitty just sort of, like, displacing emotions. Because she couldn't maybe, really... Maybe, or maybe she was mad at Doris for being so affected. But if that's the case, I would have liked to have seen something about that. Well, I mean, you have to think that Kitty would also be feeling guilt in a different way since she, you know you know spurned miss bunting mm-hmm. you know directly i just don't i don't think so i think kitty's kind of a sociopath well you know it's it is it was difficult to make out her motivations yeah there. that is certainly true uh <laughs> then we see mr selfridge just staring at himself in a mirror and thinking it, my god this beard was a bad idea <laughs> <laughs> and he says blank and bring me my crying mirror this one isn't working <laughs> He's the one with tears painted on. <laughs> he won it at the fair. <laughs> uh, but he, he does, uh, well, he doesn't summon Blankensaw, but he goes out and discusses with her and Mr. Grove uh, the arrangements for Miss Bunting's funeral. Yes, because presumably she has no family whatsoever. Right. Uh, and that uh, Mr. Grove offers to attend in his stead, and he says, oh, I'll be attending myself. And Mr. Grove is like, Really? Yeah. He's like, you're going to forget about this tomorrow. <laughs> right. We know you old. <laughs> uh, so this is... This is in okay. the, yeah, like in Leclerc's yeah. office. Yeah. So in Monsieur Leclerc's lair, <laughs> yes. uh, where they stage the windows. And I realize why they do this, because you can't go outside and look at it, which is what I used to do. You know, oh. you go out into the hall, but there's not really... Because they have to keep it covered. Right. Uh and we, you know, we would always do ours after hours. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'd be there till midnight, but we could go outside and look at it. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. so they're staging the window. 
uh, oh, they're not actually working right now. They're just both really bummed out about Miss Bunting. Right. And so they're talking about that a bit. And then Monsieur Leclerc, you know, kind of strokes Miss Towler's cheek, mm-hmm. you know, to comfort her right as old Revilius walks in. Yes. She sees them, you know, several lights go on. <laughs> right. And then she knocks on the door and asks, you know, if she can have Miss Towler. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know... Miss Towler and Monsieur Leclerc are both like, oh, the jig is up. <laughs> yes. So Miss Towler goes out there and she says, you know, what did you want, Mr. Villius? And Mr. Villius is like, uh, I'm not a fool. Yes. So let's just cut the crap. Right. Which is great. It is great. And, you know, she basically, you know, she does it really well. I mean, she's she not, does. she's not unkind about it, but she's like, look, I asked for you in this department because you're one of our best employees. Uh, but if you are, indulging in an inappropriate relationship it affects my entire department Mm -hmm. uh however she would be willing to make allowances for true and unavoidable feelings yeah and i don't know i i got this sense from these two scenes on the second go-round that miss revilius might be a lesbian Mm -hmm. i'm not saying this because of the bicycle or the corset or any of the other you know the the suffragist right there's just something like not i don't think she had a crush on miss towler i just think right there's just something about the way that she talks about this mm-hmm. that seems lesbianic. Well, I mean, it's, it's, you know, she's, she's completely in, indifferent to men. She is. You know, and that may be, you know, that doesn't mean she's a lesbian. It may just be what she has decided to do long ago. Right. To make it in the world. Which no, but would I mean, I think, again, this well. show has done such a great job of sort of exploring different kinds of relationships mm-hmm. that it would be really interesting uh, to see that perspective. Yeah. You know, because I mean, we have, we've gotten some sense of what it's like to be a gay man mm-hmm. in this era, you know, a bit from Downton Abbey, you know, clearly not as so many of right, you have pointed right. out, yes. you know, there, there are these accounts, uh, also, cousins, are you aware of an account of lesbian life during the Edwardian <laughs> era? Did you enjoy it? If so, we want to hear your story. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, that was just kind of the impression that I got. Like she was just she was very clinical about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, she didn't give any personal anecdotes. Like not that she should or right, would, right. but anyway. Yeah. But you know, then we get this interesting thing from Agnes Towler who says, "No, I like him." Yeah. I, I'm not in love with him. Yeah. And she cares about her career. And it was the most yeah. interesting choice they possibly could have made. No, I mean, it's so amazing. Where do you see that conversation happening in, in this sort of situation? In, on, on, in any time period. Yeah. In any I mean, time period on any show. It, it And just her being like, no, I just really like him. And like, and I, I just think that this show does conversations between women so incredibly well. Yeah. Because, you know, just conversations in this episode between uh, Revilius and Martel are mm-hmm. incredible. Yeah. Like, they, you just don't see it. Right. Because their conversations, you know, they will glancingly kind of reference another man. But, like, you know, what? they're having an argument about how to run their department. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with any male influence. And right. It's fascinating. Yeah. More like this, please, everyone. <laughs> here, here. Shackleton is arriving at 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 Selfridges. Um, there is a crush of reporters there, and he's like, "Okay, last last photograph, please." And the reporters all start asking him questions, and he chooses to ignore all of them, and instead summons Gordon out from the crowd of reporters Has that he's been, been standing in. Like this, is, uh... <laughs> right? 
Um, See, this is where Mustache's expertise would have been really freaking helpful. It's true. And I'd be pissed if I was one of those reporters. Right? <laughs> like, it's like, hey, we need money. Right. You know I only get paid if I get a good answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, hey, what's your name? And Gordon goes, uh, uh, I don't remember my name, sir. Uh, Louis Grace Morris! <laughs> like, he really does hesitate. I'm ready, a girl! <gasps> <laughs> he really does hesitate over it, but he he does say that he's Gordon Selfridge. Um, and Shackleton says, ah, chip off the old block, eh? And I'm like, uh, only in their acting awfulness. <laughs> right. Um, but he asks Shackleton what it, uh, what it takes or what it means to be a good leader. And Shackleton's like, oh, that's a very good question. I'll have to think about it. When you're up to your unmentionables trying to be a good leader, you don't have time to think about it. You just have to do it. And I like I like Shackleton. I thought the guy who portrayed him was excellent yeah. and the second most attractive man on this show after Mr. LeClaire. Yeah, yeah. So take that, Cumberbatch. <laughs> Indeed. Mustache now arrives at uh, wherever it is that Ellen Love has washed up. And oh my god, her hair and her outfit. I don't know where she got the idea that this is what serious actresses wear. Like, right. I mean, I, I always got the sense that her clothing when she worked at the Gaiety was a little flamboyant. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't that unlike what other women were wearing. And now she looks like she's in fucking Little House on the Prairie without any bobby pins. Right. Well, or it's like, something. How is her hair even? Like, we've seen that her hair is incredibly long. Right. And it's pinned up somehow. By some sort of anti-gravity thing? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, NASA, figure out how she's keeping her hair up. I think it could be really useful. Yeah. So, wow. So he comes in, and he's talking to her and old Tony Travers, who she's still slumming around with. Like, they're both so clearly on the freaking rebound. I'm like, why are you even pretending like you're in a relationship like this is so stupid so he says you know he was rejected by mr selfridge and then she's like oh why don't you help us write this play we could use certain you know strategic bits of information Mm -hmm. he looks through it and he says oh this is hot stuff and so he's like excited and drinking some wine and that's all we know yeah i was like i don't know what's hot stuff in edwardian society like kissing like (laughs) I, i you know i don't know i was like is it a porno because <laughs> yeah. that seems like a step down from the gaiety. Yes. Also, he is offered wine at several occasions in this very short scene and accepts it every time. He- well, and has drunk enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a mustache. He's like he's a fan of the wine. Lay off the sauce a little, saucy <laughs> pants. That may have something to do with your current lack of employment. <laughs> Just saying. Have you tried Coke? <laughs> Up in the old palm court. <laughs> Fat Thomas skulks up behind old pimp Perez, uh, and he says something to the effect of, oh, hey, uh, you know, this other store is having a special afternoon tea deal. I should go out and scope it out. And uh, Mr. Perez is like, listen, you're really cutting into my heavy re- – looking at my own reflection in knives schedule. <laughs> right. And he looks undead in this scene. He's always looked undead. Well, I know he always has, but in particular in this one, sort of the angle they're shooting at and his complete <laughs> lack of expression. Yeah, he's kind of Vincent Price-esque. He is, yeah. It was just <laughs> very odd. Anyway, but he says, okay, Fat Thomas, you can go uh, have a little jaunt. But if you find anything out, you're to report it directly to me and not to Mr. Selfridge. Because Mr. Perez is clearly still smarting over the fact that he wasn't able to steal Fat Thomas's amazing ice creams idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I were Fat Thomas, I would go to Mr. Selfridge and be like, hey, that idiot wants to have hamburgers. And then punch <laughs> Gordon in the throat. <laughs> 
You always say that. I know. Uh, speaking of Gordon, he is tagging along as Harry shows Shackleton uh, part of the display they've put together, which is... Yeah, this is the indoor display. Yeah, this so is I the, guess this was set up before right, the window. So. Right. Um, and it's... Uh, which is basically the, the same... I don't think the same car, but the same model of car mm-hmm. that he took on his trip, uh, which apparently didn't actually work. Yeah, he said it worked for about... You would have to think, you know, because they would have had to build the thing in a temperate zone. Right. And that is not going to run in sub-zero Arctic, uh, Antarctic temperatures. Yes. Oh, look. The British Antarctic ex- expeditions were uh, generally a shit show. Like, they were just... <laughs> the organization and planning was not good. <laughs> Um, but yeah, see, they, they discuss how, uh, you know, accurate everything is and, and Harry says, well, I, I took special care with it because I know a certain young man who's very interested in exploring. And Gordon says, who is he, pa? <laughs> <laughs> and then Shackleton says, seriously, this kid? Yeah. Him? Is he funny or something? <laughs> right. Uh, but they discuss leadership a little bit more, and Shackleton asks how many people work at Selfridges, and he says 3,000. And Shackleton says, that's a heck of a lot of people to lead, and then sort of ends it there. Like, you sure you don't want to add a, but I'm sure you're up to it, kid, or something like He's that? He's met him, Tom. <laughs> He's met him. I know, but I thought they'd all agreed to lie to him. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, Rose and the girls are scheming to figure out how to get the store put in their names. They're like, seriously? I would cer- If he's allowed to run it, we're all going to be dead within a year. Yeah, I would certainly hope so. They're just going to make him a fake office. Isn't it so weird how they brought that up and then literally never addressed it again? Yeah, it it is, in fact. It's really weird. Well, they're getting a second season. It, it may They got a up. lot of splaining to do. <laughs> That is true. Uh, back at accessories, Kitty and Doris uh, make up. Kitty, uh, oh, because first George Taller walks by, and Kitty like leaps out and berates him for being on the shop floor when he shouldn't. But it turns out he is supposed to be. He is shop porter for a day with a view to a permanent promotion. Mm-hmm. Which, come on, George. May, George is not going to be somewhere he's not allowed to be. No, he is. He is he's a, a rule follower. Yeah, absolutely. And Kitty is, uh, you know chastised and she says to doris that she's you know let a little bit of power go to their head and let's always be friends and then they sing a dumb song right I'm like uh you're not always gonna be friends Sorry. yeah look at miss martle and miss bunting <laughs> yeah i mean that's just not how things work so uh miss teller has once again been permitted to hang out alone with mr leclerc <laughs> right uh i mean i guess you know mr well, Ville- they weren't really doing anything wrong right um and it is their job so they're they're looking at their their mock up for the Shackleton window and and Miss Towler is saying that she thinks it needs something kind of to bring it back home. Mm. Uh and Mr. Leclerc says he likes that sentiment. Yes. Uh and who should waltz in but old Miss Valerie Moreau. Whoa. Hubba hubba. Yes. Uh the swint herself. <laughs> uh so she also likes that sentiment and then Monsieur Leclerc handles this as poorly as it is possible without saying, oh, no, the woman I was sleeping with has walked into the same room as the woman I'm currently sleeping with. Quel dommage! <laughs> yeah. Well, because he not only does he immediately – he greets her and immediately they start speaking in French, which rude. Well, they're French. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. 
Sorry to any of our French listeners. <laughs> I, what is this podcast? <laughs> um, Pierre, give me another bottle of champagne. <laughs> Where's my baguette? <laughs> um, uh, we, again, apologize to any of our French listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, um, Agnes pulls herself together and asks Valerie if what she's wearing is the New York fashion, because what she's wearing is quite... It's daring. It's yeah. like a necktie and, and you know, a hat. Yeah. Uh, it's hard. Look, you've seen it. <laughs> right. It's it's daring. And she says, no, this is Paris, head to toe, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like, New York fashion. What am I wearing? Deerskins? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's funny how Valerie's totally like... Su- like she's always very superior towards everybody. Mm-hmm. Like not in a not right. In she's, such a way that anybody could ever be like that. Lady's a bitch. Right. Except she's totally being a bitch. <laughs> yes. Uh. So then you know, uh, Miss Taylor says, "Oh, why don't you two like Mister Leclerc cannot even pull himself together enough to be like maybe I should go talk to this lady that came all the way across <laughs> an ocean to see me." Yeah. Uh. And you know, Miss Taylor's like, "I'm going to finish this. Why don't you guys go off and continue talking in French, and then I will feel better." <laughs> right. Uh, so they go off and they do that. Yeah. Then we see Lady May sitting at a desk. She's she, typing on a typewriter. She is indeed. She's a very industrious lady. She is. I mean, you know, her lifestyle takes a lot of work. Mm-hmm. It may look easy. But it is not. Uh, and her maid comes in to announce Victor Caliano. Uh, here to discuss the menus. Here to discuss the menus. So I'll tell you what's on his menu. <laughs> yeah. Pussy. Uh, Victor is shown in and... Uh, Lady May says she doesn't remember anything about any menus with a suggestive uh, tone. Mm-hmm. And because she's like, all right, oh, I wasn't expecting to have sex right now, but uh, I, I could go for Let it. Let me make sure my hair's glued on. <laughs> right. Uh, but no, he's, of course, not there to have sex with this beautiful woman, but is instead there to, again, try and get her to, like, pay for his restaurant. She is you know, displeased, you know, you, you, she says, you barge in here without invitation, not even to bang me. <laughs> um, and I, again, says what she has been saying repeatedly, which is not to rush her. And look, this really bugged me. We were talking about it before, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, she obviously was giving Tony Travers an obscene amount of money. Yes. Uh, up until she cut him off. Right. But, you know, she wouldn't have started out giving him an obscene amount of money. And we don't get a good sense of the timeline here. That's true. There's no real demarcation of any seasons passing or any holidays to give us a sense. True. But, you know, it's it's not been that long, I don't think. I, I don't mean, think so. A couple of months at most, it feels. Yeah. And... I just, I can't believe how badly he botches this. Agreed. And it's like, look, if you didn't want to trade your sexual favors for her money, then maybe you should have thought about that before you decided to trade your sexual (laughs) favors for her money. Yeah. You know she's got the power. She is Lady fucking Loxley. Yeah. And I'm just so annoyed that he is being so rude about this. Yeah, rude and just dumb. And entitled. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's what it is. And Tom and I disagree about the way that Lady May handles this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think, you know, because she kind of tries to soothe him and then, you know, trick him into having sex with her. Right. Thinking that that will clear, you know. Right. His brain of these ridiculous notions about her money. Yeah. I think she comes across as too calculating already. Fair enough, but I mean, she's, she's, you know, says repeatedly, I mean, she says, listen, I, I, I can help you 
when the time comes, I can do that. I've, you know, I haven't forgotten about this. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that's not going to happen. I'm just saying it'll happen when I'm ready and you will be more mature by that right, point. Right. But she says something about it'll be on my terms, which, mm-hmm. like, I understand being direct. I understand. Well, yeah, but I guess she. I guess she makes it sound so transactional. Well, I guess I guess that didn't mean anything to me because, you know, my whole point is in a relationship between Victor Caliano and Lady Loxley, it's on Lady Loxley's terms that there's no other way for it to be. I understand. But clearly, in order to keep him around, she's got to go with the soft touch. As we see at the end of this scene when he's like, oh, I need people to believe in me. You know, nobody talks to Fat Thomas this way. <laughs> right. No, and he's like, oh, I need, you know, I need someone who believes in me. Right. And she served his dumb ice creams. Yeah. Like, what? she has already given him these, you know, these favors. Yeah, you can believe in somebody without immediately investing in the first idea they have. No, I mean, again, it's been a few months. Like, she needs to know, well, number one, she's not going to back your restaurant if you're not going to keep having sex with her. Well, yeah. Like, duh. <laughs> what would be the point No, of that? what would the value be? <laughs> right. Like, she doesn't give a shit about owning a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. You know, she likes, but that's the other thing, too. I don't get the impression that she thinks that he's an exceptional cook. Right. Because when, she, when he came to her house and cooked for her, she said, you're a good cook. Yeah. And... She wants him to be better. Yeah. And that's the thing. If he, if she's going to keep having sex with him and if she's going to open his restaurant, she wants it to be the best that it can be. Yeah. That is the Lady May deal. Right. No, but it, I mean, you know, like her point is that he's nobody. Mm-hmm. Like who's going to come to his restaurant? You know, who's what's no, the like reason to get people in the door? Get like, promoted to fucking sous chef at the restaurant or yeah. something. Isn't he just a waiter still? Yeah, he's just a waiter. <sighs> Look, Fat Thomas... Really gets my goat. <laughs> yes. So let that be known. <laughs> yeah. Uh, back at the Palm Court, by the way, he did not even plan a good lie for where he was at at no. lunch. Because Mr. Perez comes up and is like, uh, so what was – it was he was going to Fortnum and Mason to report on something. And he's like, so what's the deal with Fortnum and Mason? And he's like, uh, they – they it, it, it didn't happen for reasons. Good reasons. <laughs> plausible reasons. <laughs> well, bye. <laughs> yeah. But everybody's, uh, you know, coming in for the Shackleton address. Right. And the, the Selfridges are gathered around when they suddenly realize that they haven't seen Rosalie for about 15 seconds. <laughs> and like a moth to a rodent, <laughs> she's hanging out with good old Roddy the rodent. Yes. Temple, in case you were confused. <laughs> oh, he's like Templeton in Charlotte's Web. Oh, yeah. Except less delightful and gay. <laughs> right. He's much more uh, awful. I wish he was voiced by Paulin. Ah, Rosalie. <laughs> I'm just trying to bang your mom, see? But if you want to go to the fair, it's a smorgasbord. Smorgasbord! <laughs> I don't think that's even a passable Paulin impression. I don't think so either. My apologies. I'm not sure who that was an impression of. My apologies to the ghost and estate of Paulin. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be hearing from my lawyer. <laughs> His ombudsman. <laughs> I just wanted to say that. I'm sure he did not have an ombuds- oms- I, I, bud- ombudsman. Ombudsman. God, that's hard to say. Yeah. I'm sorry I brought it up. <laughs> Me too. We all are, Kelly. <laughs> Great. So Mr. Selfridge uh, takes the situation in hand, as you would expect. And Even though Rose is like, I'll handle it. And he's like, yeah, you clearly have been handling it great. Right. Yeah. You neither can nor will. And I mean, you know, he said he was going to, you know wreak vengeance upon him and now yeah. the time has come 
So he, he, he takes him out into the hallway. See, to me, this reads like he left of his own volition. Right. Well, again, well, I think this show is badly edited sometimes. Sometimes it is, yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, I think, I think Roddy apparently welcomed the chance for this conversation what with Mr. Dummy. Selfridge. Well, yes. it's like a repeat of the Fat Thomas Lady May conversation. It it's is. It's like, seriously, who the hell do you think you are? Right. And he's like, you know, your wife loves me and all this, like, he keeps saying that. And Mr. Selvage keeps saying, don't talk about my wife. Uh-huh. Uh, and he keeps talking about his wife. And he's like, you can't, you think you can just get anything you want. Well, you can't. And Mr. Selvage is like, well, I can destroy your career forever. So there's that. Yeah. And Roddy is like, oh, I didn't realize you could do most things. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you know, it's so funny to me, too, that I'm so against these two particular underdogs. Yeah. I mean... Well, Roddy the rodent has clearly been demonstrated to be a villain. Right. But like, you know, Fat Thomas, he hasn't, he hasn't done anything to hurt anybody. No. I just think he's stupid. Right. We can't play the game, you know? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're always much more, we, we like operators. We like operators and people who have achieved something with their ambition. Yeah. You know, I mean, cause it takes more than just ambition. You've got to be smart. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I'm very, well, and it's like Roddy's trying to be an operator, but he's so bad at yeah, it. Yeah, like again, as I've said before, even in Roddy Temple's own fevered imaginings, what is no, the what's, outcome? What's the end What game? does he think is going to happen? Yes, because I know, you know, unless you're fucking, you know, Humbert Humbert <laughs> in no universe does it make sense to try and seduce the daughter of the woman you want to marry. Yeah. I mean, for Humbert Humbert, that wasn't the end game. I, yeah, I don't think that worked out too well anyway. Look, let's not talk about that. Let's not. But yeah, so Roddy Temple slinks off with his tail between his legs. Yes. And uh, that appears to be settled. Yes. Back to whatever hole he crawled out of. Oh, no. The other thing I want to say is that uh, he tries to tell Mr. Selfridge that his that he's telling him, like, no, your wife is in love with me. Right. And I'm like, yeah, she was. Until you fucked it up yeah. by scamming on her daughter. Right. Again, if that was what you were going for, then you, that, you've already lost no, that, that battle. No, that ship has titanicked itself. <laughs> it is gone. Yeah. You know, paint a picture of it. Right. A terrifying <laughs> picture. <laughs> I just imagine it being like a portrait of when Ursula dies in The Little Mermaid <laughs> and she's like got electric going through her. And, you know, she's all wrapped around that ship. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> I would love that painting, actually. <laughs> I'd hang it on me wall. <laughs> Every time I saw it, I'd go, ah! <laughs> Yeah, that would be lovely. <laughs> we, we have the same walls, Kelly. I'm not sure that <laughs> I want one of them to result in Listen, streaming. let's just save this for couples therapy. <sighs> you always say that. I know, and then we never go. It's great. <laughs> and back in the Palm Court. Victor is standing there in his capacity as waiter, which is what he is. Mm -hmm. And Agnes asks him how things went with his backer. She's like, you said you wouldn't take no for an answer. What happened? And he's like, uh, she said no. Um, and they all kind of laugh about it. And I get the sense I, that Agnes is like onto this whole thing. Like she's like, right. you're not gonna, you're not and, gonna get this. And if she is in fact suspicious, I would imagine her suspicions are confirmed by what happens next. <laughs> Lady May sees Thomas talking, fat Thomas, excuse me. <laughs> right. She sees him talking to another woman and immediately makes a beeline mm -hmm. and says, why don't you let Mr. Caliano get back to his duties? I have yet to be offered refreshment, yeah. which also 
Excellent point, Lady May. Yeah, indeed. I'm surprised Miss Teller's allowed to be at the the. I am as well. Like, what's what's she doing? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Maybe she's allowed to be there. Well, I mean, I think I think she's covered to an extent by Leclerc's aura of French mystery mm-hmm. now. That's true. As his protege. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, yeah, she accepts champagne, saying it is to celebrate their new business venture. That she's fine. She'll give him his stupid restaurant. But he still says no. Mm-hmm. No, and this is is much clumsier. Like we right. can both agree. Yeah, that agrees. That this is very poorly handled. And you know he is just like you know no fuck off. But again, I even if she's not going to be his backer, she's still an influential person. Mm-hmm. You know, apparently one of the most influential people in life. Like if she yeah. wasn't. Mr. Selfridge wouldn't be fucking around with her. Right. Indeed. Well, and you know what? I mean, if if he has an issue with him himself trading sexual favors for this, then he just proved by, – by ending the relationship because she wouldn't back him, he proved that that's what he was doing. Exactly. So, yeah. We're, uh, we're disgusted by you, Fat Thomas, <laughs> in yeah. more ways than one. Yeah. Although I'd just like to add – we're the least disgusted of him out of all the people that we like hate on this show. Oh, we yeah. hate him the least by yeah, far. Like despite he's, the fact that I think we give him the most shit. Right. Well, just, he's look, actually all right. But I just think we're irritated with him because he squanders so many opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we get a scene of uh, Miss Revilius and Miss Martle in the elevator. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're talking about antarctica because they're they're on their way to the speech Mm -hmm. and uh miss revilius says oh you know it must have been so lonely out there in the cold and miss martle says you don't need to go to antarctica to feel lonely Mm -hmm. and i'm just like boom yeah shit just got real yeah and you know miss revilius agrees and explains you know sort of her motivations for joining the suffragists Mm -hmm. because you know either women have to meet the right man or work for the rest of their lives and she thinks that women should you know, band together to face whatever the future holds. Mm-hmm. And Miss Martle says, Oh, I never thought of it that way. As yeah. we're having this conversation, Lady <laughs> Mae leaves. Right. Cause she don't give a fuck about yeah. Shackleton. <laughs> uh, but you know, I guess that sheds a little light on why she didn't help Miss Martle. Like mm-hmm. she literally did not realize it was an option for her to help her friend. Yeah. You know, and I don't know how references worked back then. Right. You know, if you can give a lateral reference, because, you know, now you can give a lateral reference. Right, right. And, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Right. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I simply don't know. Yeah, but, uh, so, you know, they, they go in for the talk, but I'm like super shipping. Marvelous. Yeah, like not in a sexual way. Just, I know. Just, I want them to be like best friends yeah. and like, you know, rent a flat. Yeah, well, because she recruits her to a, oh, yeah, a suffrage she, yeah. meeting. Yeah, and, Miss Martle, who's been, you know, sort of uh, vaguely sympathetic to the cause up to this point. Right. Uh, but, you know, was sort of stymied by Mr. Groves' just intransigence on the subject. Yeah. And I think just, you know, her own natural, you know, she'd always just sort of thought of it as something that unpleasant people are involved yes, in. You know? Yes. So she agrees she'll come to a, a weekly suffragist meeting. Yeah. And I'm curious a bit. About the circles of suffragists that Miss Revilius runs with and the circles that Lady May runs with. Because mm-hmm. they don't seem to know each other particularly. Right, I mean, right. I, you know, Miss Revilius is working class and presumably, you know, it's it's all of the sort of Mrs. Banks's yeah. who are uh, – although Mr. Banks isn't a lord or anything, so. Yeah, well, I, I do think, though, that Miss Revilius may be I, – I doubt that she's as much 
of an organizer and leader mm-hmm. simply because she's too busy with her career. That's true. I think she's, she's probably just like the support meetings. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been consciousness raising in the seventies, but I don't know what they called them. We may have known in a previous episode. We may have. <gasps> so then Shackleton's speech begins. Right. And initially we thought it was like a three minute speech, but <laughs> right. it turns out again, just a bit of clumsy editing. Cause yeah. like, he starts out with his preamble and then all of a sudden it cuts to the end of his speech. Right. And the end is odd, too, because he's just talking about how they decided to turn home and how it was hard with their, you know, going back to their families. And then just sort of after a random sentence in that, everybody starts applauding and that's the end of the speech. Like, I I could not tell how they knew that was – like, was there an applause sign? Maybe. I, it was just – Blankensop was holding it. <laughs> yeah. It just didn't seem like a natural. No, but, but anyway. I do. I do like that we get a sense of Miss Towler as actually being pretty worldly and cultured yeah. because you know she's very up to date on Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Right. Uh, you know she's attending this talk. Mm-hmm. You know she clearly likes to expose herself to uh, cultural events. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't. We certainly don't get that impression from you know Kitty and Doris. Right. Who just are busy. You know. Yeah. Being humbugs. Or Mr. Grove, for that matter. He d- like, he'll do things when he has yeah, to, but he doesn't he, seem to like anything. No, because like, he didn't seem that excited about going to Drury Lane right. with Miss Martle. Yeah. Uh, so after the lecture, everybody gathers round and, you know, Shackleton once again tells Gordon that, you know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to do a great job filling your old man's shoes. And, uh, you know, he, he won't. Well, but he says, I mean, you know, this is the thematic right point of the episode is that you know the point of being a good leader is to bring your men in from the cold yeah uh which uh you know inspires mr mr selford who does he tell to get the staff for a meeting in five minutes i can't remember who's there yeah, I don't, he tells yeah. somebody to get all of the the heads of department together in his office for yeah. a meeting in five minutes uh but mr crab is crowding around shackleton with everybody else to get his autograph and i was like oh he's just like you pointed <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was pretty cool <laughs> No, but he, he doesn't even get the autograph, though, because he does it for a second, and then he's like, no, I just look foolish, and he leaves. <laughs> um, we, we get a quick shot of Agnes setting up her window. Mm-hmm. Um, she is putting out a, a, a tea kettle or of some sort. Yeah. And then we get a scene of uh, Valérie et Monsieur Leclerc mm-hmm. um, talking in French like they do, and she is trying to convince him to come to New York and take a job there. Uh, you know, seems to be a pretty good job worthy of his uh, abilities and he's, you know, he's reluctant. Well, and she says, you know, she's like, you can name your price and he says it's not about the money, you know, and in the past he's been saying, oh, you know, I need to see him out the year. So maybe it's been a year. I don't know. We, we really don't. But maybe being in the presence of the intoxicating Miss Moreau has caused him to be uh, reconsidering that position. Yeah. And she asks him to just consider it just for her sake. And again, it's so interesting uh, because she's clearly the dominant one in this relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think you see that really in any of the other – not in this, not in the way that this – where he is perfectly happy yeah. to be not calling the shots. I right. mean, because he's been with her for years yeah. since he proposed marriage. Yeah. And they've stayed together despite the fact that it's not strictly what he wants. Yeah. No, and it's he's just – he's not a dominant personality. Mm-hmm. He, you know, has been – I think. He's very driven, and I mean, right. I think he's passionate about his work. Right, but and he he knows how to get what he wants. Generally speaking, yeah, he just he you know he's not a pusher. Right. Uh, in Mister Selfridge's office, he reads to the heads of staff the note 
from Miss Bunting. Uh, and she says, you know, essentially that she was very happy at Selfridges and not to... Uh, she says to be happy for her because she's gone to be with her mother. Right. Uh, so I guess Church of England has a more lax <laughs> view on suicide than the Catholic Church does. Yeah. Or, or it might know. have been wishful. Well, I guess, you know, if occultism is on the rise, you know, people probably are very... Yeah, she's just on the other side, yeah. wherever that is. And it, it, it occurred to me only at this point, I was like, you know, Miss Bunting, you could have mailed that note and hung yourself... And not like. Oh God! Well, I'm just saying. First of all, people maybe she could, couldn't afford a stamp. <laughs> well, that's possible. I mean, people could have been hurt in that train. Like that's that's kind of insensitive to do it that way. Uh, I'm just I don't saying. know what you know about the suicidal mindset, Tom, <laughs> but it's not the most rational. <laughs> True enough. But yeah, so Mr. Selfridge says that uh, we left. It wouldn't what- have been as effective. Well, well, I, that's I it guess it wouldn't have caused him to have this trademark change of heart. <laughs> I suppose that's true. Because he says that we left one of ours out in the cold. That will never happen again. To which my question is, what policy change does this imply? Exactly. You know, like, so there's no rules now? Like, you can just do whatever you well, want? You can't get fired? Well, and he even, I think, Mr. Grove telling him, you know, the extent to which he and Dora's had helped her, or mm-hmm. like, anything of that nature. Right, right. Because again, you know, again, because you know, in the immediate wake of that that act of theft, he was like, "You need to come to us when you're in trouble." But they, if they still don't do that and they still steal, I mean, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess there's no dress barn that you can go to where they're like, "Oh, you don't have a reference; you'll fit in great." <laughs> For the record, I had excellent references when I worked at Dress Barn. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Thank you. I wasn't telling you. You <laughs> I'm talking to the cousins, Tom. All right. Fair enough. Uh, he is then summoned by forces beyond his ken to go gaze at the portrait. Ah! <laughs> Put it away! <laughs> uh, my next scene is uh, described as, Ugh, gross, go away! Oh, it must be another Mr. Grove scene! <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's Mr. Grove and Doris in the in the tea house. Right. Uh, and, you know, he brings her a cup of tea and they, they toast to Miss Bunting yeah. and drink their tea. And I'm like, this is really morbid. It, it is. Like, I, I understand wanting to go out and get a cup of tea to memorialize your dead colleague or whatever. But, like, right. doing it in the place where she would go haunt, you know, and, reliving her days at Selfridges yeah. as the last of her will to live dwindled and died. Right. And doing all this... As a first date. Yes. Which Doris may not know, doesn't know, but, but Mr. Grove does know. it's written all over his face. Yeah. Like, he, it that's is, what all the creepster... Yeah, it is unmistakable that he is looking at Doris and like, yeah. Those are some childbearing hips. <laughs> yes. We then see the window, the completed window, and it is great. It is one of the best windows I've ever seen. It's yeah. just gorgeous. I mean, yeah. there's like this draped sort of bunting, mm-hmm. bunting, <laughs> uh, and then you know there's the British flag and some of their you know like snowshoes and equipment, and then yeah. in the middle is just this you know the tea kettle, right? Because she you know what she took away that touch of home was you know even in Antarctica they would have had this symbol mm-hmm. of of British home life, yeah, and, and you know the- this thing that they could kind of set their emotional clocks. Mm-hmm. And the point of view is from inside the tent, and you can see out through the flat. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, yeah, you can see Boy, out through. I do not have good spatial awareness. Right, 
so yeah, the, the, the you can see out the tent, you can see the Antarctic wasteland and the moon, mm-hmm. and it's it's really it's nice. It's absolutely stunning. I yeah. should make that my new desktop image. Great. <laughs> yeah. Cousins, have you made this your desktop image? <laughs> Do you have the file? If so, we want to hear your story and scan that file. <laughs> Agreed. At Selfridges, or at the Selfridge Estate. It is very confusing. It is. It's all Selfridges, damn it. <laughs> Um, all selfridge all the time. <laughs> uh, Harry comes home and suggests to Rose that he get somebody else to paint her a new portrait as he doesn't think that one does her justice. Uh, which we agree with. Right. That is certainly true. It was also, you know, painted by the devil himself in the form No, no, no. Of- that was Beatrice. <laughs> <laughs> she just incantated over it. <laughs> right. Um... And yeah, I mean, everything about that portrait is horrible. This seems like a great idea. But Rose, does, Rose does not want a new portrait. So I don't know why he can't just say, hey, can I take down that portrait <laughs> now that we know that that guy was trying to, like, rape our daughter? <laughs> right. But then he says to Rose, Roddy Temple said he was in love with you. And she's just like, believe what you want, Harry. And then goes to bed. And I'm like, this is not a productive conversation. It's not. But she throughout. Uh, basically from this point on she's like, checked out she is like that your rendition of that line just there was had more emotion in yeah. it than she does she's just completely like flat like in her when she's talking yeah. to to harry yeah um and she and she goes to a room and she pulls out the sketch that roddy template made that she's been gazing at all this time mm-hmm. uh and and rips it up while weeping yeah so yeah so kind of a a downer (laughs) right but good news next we get a scene in a casino and it's harry yep and a dress walks up with a hand yeah a gloved hand yes but the head is outside of the outside of the frame and just rests her gloved hand (gasps) on his shoulder and he is like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I just think that's so stupid. Like, I, just because he views women as interchangeable doesn't mean that the framing of that shot made any sense. I agree. And also, if he's at that casino, how is there some unescorted woman there? Well, see, my, maybe it's setting up some big plot twist, you know? <laughs> like, Turns out she's like, uh, you know, one of those people from that Twilight Zone episode with the pig faces. <laughs> and they're like, no, you're ugly. Or it's just a character we've already met that it would give away the surprise. Like it's like it's Mr. Grove. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 Creepster I don't. in a red dress, red dress out. <laughs> Creepster in a red dress on. Somebody should really tell him that gingers can't wear that color red. <laughs> that is a good point. Although the next morning we do see a bit more of this anonymous person. In what is presumably the next episode. Yes. It's got that feel about it. It, it does. And uh, we see enough to know that it isn't Mr. Grove. So. Yeah, it's definitely a lady's back. It's definitely a lady's back, yes. Uh, Mr. Selfridge gets dressed, uh, goes and arrives home, climbs into bed. It is already daylight out. He climbs into bed. Rose wakes up and realizes what's just happened and gets out of bed and storms out. You know, since this keeps happening, they really might want to do what, you know every other couple of the day was doing and have separate bedrooms. There's a, there's some advantages. I mean, you apparently. Know, look, divorce does not seem to be an option for these two. Right. Or, you know, at least not seriously. Yeah. And I just, 
I just feel like they're torturing each other unnecessarily. Yeah. Mainly he's torturing her. Like, I want to make it clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a double standard at work here. Absolutely. But it's like at some point, Rose, like, come on, have some self-respect and be like, look, you've made it perfectly clear that you're never going to stop doing this. I want my own bed. Yeah. Although he also seems like the type of, like, yeah, can't kick me out of my own bed. Well, true enough. Uh, Down at breakfast, yet another of the patented awkward selfridge breakfasts. But uh, uh, Harry tries to be like, oh, look, we're, we're in the paper. There's a good story about us. And Rose says, well, looks like you really have it all now. And it is. She is amazing in this yeah, episode. I mean, yeah. she is just. Well, and it's just because we know that this coldness is a defense mechanism for mm-hmm. her. Like when she gets this way, she's having so much feeling that she cannot right. betray any feeling. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Selfridge arrives at the store. Lady May is... And we see the doorman again. And every time I see them, I'm going to just say, nobody gets in to see the great Oz. <laughs> not me. Not nobody. Not know how. <laughs> Even I've never seen him. <laughs> A Lady May, however, does get in to see him. Oh, she gets in bright and early. Yes, yeah, she is already in his office having upset Miss Blankensop, as she always uh, seems to and do. And Mr. LeClaire, who is there trying, you know, to get in to see him without an appointment. Right. To talk to him, presumably, about this whole Valerie situation. Indeed. And Lady May tells Mr. Selfridge that she has a friend, wink, wink, <laughs> uh, who would like to come to Selfridge's after hours and shop. And he says, you know, blah, 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 you know, the common man, everybody rubbing <laughs> shoulders. And she's like, uh, I think, I think that you'll shut the hell up when you find out who my friend is. <laughs> so we can only imagine who this might be. I thought it was pretty obvious from the previews. We, yeah, we all did. <laughs> um, down on the shop floor, there are screams coming from the accessories department. Screams of excitement and laughter and so on. Miss Martle, understandably, storms over to demand what the heck is going on. I mean, there are, the store is open. Yeah, the store is open. And, like, I guess these are the unseen accessories employees right. that, you know, well, aren't, I mean, aren't part of the union. Yeah. Well, there's 3,000 employees at Selfridges. I'm guessing there's more than three people working the accessories department. <laughs> I certainly hope so. They have a lot of accessories. They do. But yes, she she shoos them all off uh, and is told that they were all excited because they were all gathered around to see Doris's engagement ring. Uh, Miss Martle says, oh, well, I suppose that might be a cause for merriment. And <laughs> she means it, of course, in as typical British understatement. But in fact, the might is well founded in her yes. case. Yes, she asks if she might inquire as to the gentleman's name. And Kitty's like, it's only Mr. Grove. Yeah. And Doris is like, no, you weren't supposed to say anything. And again, we really ought to look up her name, the actress. <laughs> right, because we love because her. Because it looks like her face got hit by a bus. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It, but you know what? Everybody in accessories is so extraordinarily stupid. <laughs> right. But still, it is, I mean. Just devastation. Because yeah. she's only just been given the kiss off. Right. Like, two days ago. Like, I or mean. Whatever. I guess it, an indeterminate amount of an time. An indeterminate amount passed. of time, but it doesn't matter. This is, I mean, of course, I mean, you don't even need to explain why she's devastated. No. Obviously. We've covered this. Yeah. Just, just an awful, awful thing to happen to her. Yes. But yeah, she, uh, she cries on the elevator. Not a bad idea. No. If, you can, if you you're going to cry. 
Well, if, if you've got a relationship with the operator, too. That's true. Yeah. You're like, hey, you know, man troubles. And this girl's like, I know I am one. <laughs> right. Well, I think elevator operators, uh, you... I think they probably... You know, they're like cab drivers in this store. Yeah. They hear yeah. a lot of stories. <laughs> right. They pour a lot of drinks. <laughs> they're counted on for their discretion. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Miss Martle goes up to Mr. Grove's office where Mr. Crab is, you know, talking happily about the, the good press they've received mm-hmm. with Mr. Grove. And Miss Martle asks if she might have a word with Mr. Grove in private. And Mr. Crab is like, oh, yeah, totes. You know, I'll go and we can we can capitalize on this later. Yeah. And Mr. Grove is like, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. Uh, he does in the one act of something approaching human decency in this episode sees miss martle's face and he's like what actually no isn't he mean about it no well he just he he says what is it like he is confused yeah like he's he can't imagine what it might be Uh um and she informs him and he says oh i I made her promise not to tell anybody before i had the chance to talk to you Again, my notes. Ugh, stop it. Die. <laughs> um, Sadly, he does not do any of those things. No, he does not. Because she says there's no, you know, so it is no, true. There's trying, nothing more to be said. She's trying to take the high road. Uh, and, you know, and, she just says that she wished he would have come and told her first. Yeah. And he says, oh, you know, let me come over to your house tonight and I'll explain myself. And she's like, okay. Right. Which, Which ugh. Like, look, when you break up with somebody, no, yeah. you're done. Yeah. You know what? They're they're done. You don't get to talk about your feelings anymore. Especially <laughs> when he's just turned around and asked somebody else to marry him. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Concur. Yeah. <laughs> down down in accessories. Oh god. Um Doris is admiring a hat while discussing her happy state. Like, a man's hat. Yeah. Like, have you met the guy? Do you think you're marrying that hat? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. What does she think she's marrying that one like painting of the apple with the hat? <laughs> that'd be that'd be a much better choice for her. <laughs> <laughs> She'd have more happiness. Yeah, it's not a ginger. <laughs> right. It's a Granny Smith. <laughs> um but Doris is just, it's all so new to her, and she's reflecting on the, you know, that she's supposed to call him Roger now, and she, she'll always think of him as Mr. Grove, and she's like, I don't even know how he likes his tea. Which, yeah, you know, are you marrying him tomorrow? I think you've got time to discuss this. Right. And anyway, you know, I assume, you know, bitter and slimy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the dregs. They're <laughs> my favorite part. <laughs> For I'm evil, you see. Pure evil. Why are there no tears in this tea? <laughs> oh, that'll never be the case. <laughs> Not when she gets to know him. <laughs> oh, my. Uh, and Kitty tells Soros to shut up already. Because uh, Kitty can't not be mean. Right. This She's is... perfectly incapable of not being mean. Right. Then we have a scene with Victor and Agnes. Ugh! Fair enough. I just, I hate, uh, I don't want them to get together. Right. I just want them to stay friends. I don't like him with her. That's, that's I don't fair. think he has anything to offer. Well, I think, you know, and I think this may be something that he may turn around on, but at the beginning of the relationship, it definitely felt like he would not, he would expect her to, to quit her job. To quit her job. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's clearly unacceptable. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we, I mean, that's not going to happen. 
I, I think oh, no. well, that we can all be confident in that. I, I mean, she wouldn't even quit her job for Monsieur Leclerc, for God's sake. Right. Yeah, and that guy is smoking hot. Yeah. And not at all fat. <laughs> not even his face. Right. Uh, apparently, it's Victor's birthday. Because guess what, adults? Shut up. <laughs> like, if somebody doesn't already know it's your birthday, yeah. shut up. Agreed. Just Facebook it. God. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's like, oh, you can bring my present up to the palm court anytime. Tra-la-la-la-la-la. <laughs> and she's like, I don't care. Right. But, uh, you know, whatever. She pats him on the head. <laughs> See, like a puppy child. <laughs> At the Selfridge estate, Violette is reciting the Kings of England. And uh, Ma Selfridge <laughs> is like, why aren't you learning about the American presidents? And uh, Violette correctly points <laughs> out, uh, hello, I'm in England. Right. They don't give a shit about it. <laughs> as far as they're concerned, we still have an illegal government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as, far as, she's concer- as far as they're concerned, she is reciting Kings of America, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that troubles... Ma, and then the other two kids run in shouting random cricket phrases that mm-hmm. they read somewhere. Like, it's so ridiculous and yeah, awful. Yeah, does it, doesn't uh, Gordon say he's going to punish Violette's bowling? He, which sounds horrendous. Yes, it like, does. That's some, that's some well, he says, hey, Ma, come watch me uh, punish... Well, I think it was the other one, Beatrice. Well, I thought like he dragged Violet into. Anyway, oh yeah, it, he look, says anyway. Let come watch me punish her bowling. Like, is that that sounds kind of like Game of Thrones? <laughs> like, I don't know what that's about. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that the uh, the parents are upset not by the poor quality of acting on display <laughs> and writing for that matter. They right? weren't given much to work with on no. that one, but by their children becoming so you know English. But they're not like they're not even that English. Like God, uh, are they playing baseball? <laughs> no, not American. Okay, God. Well, that's those were the rules. So they're uh, troubled. Yeah, she she says to Ma Selfridge, you know, she worries that they need a reminder of who they are, and she wants to go to Chicago. And Ma Selfridge is like, Harry's not going to like that. It's like he can't just pick up and leave the store. And Rose. I don't like a lot of the way she handles anything in this Mm -hmm. episode. She's like, well, I picked up everything and moved here. I had a whole life in Chicago. And, you know, I realize it's the constraints of the time, but Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, he's the one running the business. Like, he's responsible for your life in Chicago in some respects. I mean, she came from, you know, the good family. Right, right. But I just, I don't... I think I think she's trying to well, equate their situations in ways that they can't be equated. Here's what I'll say. I don't think Harry or anyone in her life has ever acknowledged that she was making any sacrifice or considered that she was by yeah. leaving, okay. packing up her whole life and going to London. Well, that's fair. Uh, that's, that's what I think. Uh, and Ma tries to, uh, you know, she, she tries to talk up harry and says that you know he deep down he knows he'd be lost without you and this sort of thing but it's like that's not a very good thing to say like ma really ought to just sit harry down and be like listen dickhead your wife is constantly complaining to me and it is so annoying i mean i'm guessing that this conversation has been had i mean i've been probably well before he even met rose yeah you know because because uh rose says something about that Ma doesn't understand, and she's like, uh, I think I can guess. Yeah. So. 
Uh, back at Selfridges, Harry is talking to Lady May and, and plans with him, the special unnamed guest, uh, are proceeding. He is coming and he has also invited them to go to the opening of Tony Travers' new play. Which, like, fart noise. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, God. Well, and it's, it's, it struck me as odd, but I guess, you know, I guess, I don't know. I mean, the king's not going to concern himself with who Selfridge is or isn't. Well, having- right. But I just think that, you know, Tony Travers and his plays don't strike me as the sort of, you know, I would just assume the king would just be doing staid, you know, retreads of old classics, you yeah, know, or I whatever. Guess so. I don't but, know. yeah, I well, don't know. Well, but you know, I mean, Edward was like the young, hip king. No, that's true. He that's was, true. He was very daring. Yeah. And, no, I mean, I, I'm not into, I just feel that the, the the material is so bad. Well, right. I mean, I realize it's a play within a TV show, but even then, I'm like, yeah. ugh. Why are you, why are you bothering the king with this? He's got <laughs> broads to nail. Well, the king couldn't have known. It was the opening. It was the opening. Yeah. Uh, out of curiosity, why did you write down the word Elvis? <laughs> because in this scene, they finally named the guest as the king. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much for clearing that up. <laughs> but yes, Monsieur Leclerc is still trying to get in to see Harry. And Miss Blankensop is like, he's very busy. I've been doing everything I can. Yeah. It was nice to see her get a little snippy. Right? Yeah. I like, because, to see, I like to see the inner hidden depths of Miss Blankensop's veneer of calm. Indeed. Well, and I mean, being snippy is certainly part of the job when you're, you know, secretary to an mm-hmm. important big break. Absolutely. Yeah. George comes into the palm court as part of his new position. He's delivering napkins or something. Mm-hmm. So Victor says, hey, how you doing? And he's like, oh, looking good. And, um, you know, again, Victor, when not threatening to bring down Agnes, always, he's like real nice to George. Yeah. Like I if he could like just not be with Agnes ever. Yeah. If like, I don't know, if just he <laughs> could be allergic to her or something, that would be helpful to me. Right. Uh, but George is seeking a little romantic advice from Victor. Who has just asked if Agnes ever talks about him. <laughs> yeah. No, she's been staying overnight somewhere. <laughs> has she met you? <laughs> <laughs> Does she know you work here? <laughs> Why don't you bring me around some of them Italian pastries? I like those. <laughs> Why can't they just be roommates? Yeah, no. I, Agnes I, can have her swinging bachelorette pad. <laughs> I, I think that'd be great. Well, they could uh, they could wingman for each other. Yeah, because clearly they both need it. Yeah, uh, because George is, as we already know, interested in Kitty Hawkins for and... reasons that defy logic. Yeah. Apart from that, she is very pretty. Oh yeah, she's perfectly pretty, and and you know, he's, he's like. I don't know. She'd want me, her being so high class or whatever. And Victor's like, she's not that high right? class. Well, yeah. I mean, look, she does carry herself that way. Oh, sure. And I just think, you know, I think George, you know, and whatever extent he has these feelings, you know, he's probably got a lot of his own internalized oh, sure. I mean, shame about his father yeah, and, I think, and that situation. You know, Kitty may not be high class, but she's also not from the McGinn family. <laughs> that we know of her real name is kitty mcginn she changed Hawkins when she moved to london could be uh but yeah victor says just get her some flowers and ask her out you'll never know if you don't ask sound advice cousins sound advice it's true leclerc asks mr villius if he can borrow agnes and mr villius has a bit of a you know entendre laden <laughs> thing like oh we'll bring her back as good as you found her and yeah. i'm like her hymen's already broken like <laughs> that ship has sailed 
Yeah, she's just like, don't fuck her again, please. Yeah. <laughs> Not now. <laughs> I need her to finish this man again. Well, also, I, I didn't put this together until we were just talking about uh, Valerie's outfit in the last episode. But uh, Agnes is dressing a mannequin and she asks Miss Revilius what she thinks. Mm-hmm. And Miss Revilius thinks it's a bit too much even for her. Right. Which, as we know, Miss Revilius is on the cutting edge of women's fashion, mm-hmm. you know, for a Briton. Yeah. Uh, but she asks Mr. Leclerc and he says, I think it is outrageous. And she's <laughs> like, all right, fine, we're keeping it. Yeah. Well, she says good because she does not think much of the king. Like, she doesn't think oh, ill no. of him. She just doesn't care. I did vote for him. <laughs> well, indeed, she did not. Uh, George approaches the accessories counter and... Oh, wait, we didn't... Did, oh. Didn't they have no, a... Con- oh, you're, you're right. That was- I'm sorry. This is a very important conversation no, no, that caused me to weep profusely. Yeah, sorry. Profusely. Yes. So, okay. Monsieur Leclerc is like, hey, Agnes, um, listen, yeah. I'm going to move to New York for this job. And I mean, he mentions the job first. And right. he's like, you know, I can really spread my wings there. Mm-hmm. I can really uh, do very exciting work and mm-hmm. she's like oh okay and you know he's like are you upset and you know and i think i can't remember if he explicitly says but you know that he's gonna go there also to be with valerie right she's stunned despite you know having said she wasn't in love with mr leclerc in the previous episode mm-hmm. but you know it's clearly just a blow right you know because he was this you know some you know he's been her mentor as well as her lover for yeah. however long and mm-hmm. she just wasn't yeah wasn't expecting this mm-hmm. and so she tears up and is saying, I'm sorry. It is just such a sad scene it's, to me. Yeah. So she's like, you know, you never lie to me about how you felt about Valerie. And he says it has been an honor getting to know you. Mm-hmm. And like, then he got like, and he's upset. Like yeah. everyone's upset. Yeah. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. Get the tissues out, everybody. <laughs> and the ice cream. <laughs> yeah uh no but it's just it's beautifully played because they're both just mm -hmm. like complete adults about it yeah and you know it this is of course this is what he's doing yeah and you know and they both know that they'll both be fine but you know yeah uh this is this is how you handle a breakup yeah everyone like it's just so there's a lot of really solid relationship advice uh, being put to good use in this episode. Yeah, indeed. So well done, Mr. Selfridge. Not only showing us unconventional relationships, but also how to maintain good ones. Yeah. Or end them gracefully. Right. Or begin them gracefully. Yeah. As the case may be. I mean, beginnings and endings are part of relationships. And drama. <laughs> yes. Uh, so George comes up to the accessories counter with his hand behind his back and whips out a bouquet of violets for Kitty Hawkins. And she wants to know why he's done this for her. And he says, it's because I'm sweet on you. And uh, wants to know if she will go to the pictures with him. (laughs) She very classily responds, who's paying? (laughs) Yes. And he's like, well, I am. And she says that, all right, she'll go. But they have to get the threepenny seats because she's not sitting down front. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, on the one hand, she's kind of a bitch. Right. On the other hand, George Taylor probably needs a strong, firm hand in his home life. She does. And to an extent, like, you know, if she, anybody that she dates, if she's going to end up marrying them, she's going to have to quit her job. So they damn well better be making money. That's true. Yeah. No, and I mean, I guess I, you know, sisterhood or whatever, I guess I ought to like be like, yeah, you know, she's asking for what she wants, but she's just so unpleasant. (laughs) She's, she's rather unpleasant. Yeah. I think you find her more so than I do, but, you know, I know what you're talking yeah. about. 
Yeah, but all of their scenes, the music they play, they're like outtakes from Gone with the Wind. <laughs> because she's always like, well, George Towler. And all I can hear is, oh, Brett Tarleton. Oh, I'm not talking to you. I'm mad at you. <laughs> oh, Scarlett, why, honey, why? Like, it's just, it's exactly that dynamic. If, you know, if Scarlett O'Hara was a ginger and worked in retail, <laughs> it would be this plot line. Actually, he's Charles Hamilton. He's not even cute enough to be one of the Tarleton twins who were also gingers. All right. Fun fact. <laughs> this has been exciting. You don't sound like you meant that. You're right. I don't sound like I meant that. <laughs> <laughs> At the Selfridge Estate, in Rose's sort of dressing area, uh, Mr. Selfridge comes up to her to tell her about that the king is coming. Um, and she is, you know, as per usual, just like, oh, great, fine. The king, huh? Awesome. Yeah, right. And he then informs her that, and, and, you know, at the beginning he's as usual optimistic, like, hey, I'll just smile my way through this. But then he, he takes it down a notch, just like, also, we're going to go to a play that has Ellen Love in it. Yeah. And immediately it's like, and I would never ask you to do this except Lady May says you can't refuse a royal invitation. Oh, and in that previous scene, Lady May told him that it would, uh, do him good to be seen in public with his wife more right. frequently. Yeah. And and Rose He's like, well, I did just wake up in some tart's bed this morning. Maybe there's something to what you say. Yeah. And and Rose says, you want me to go see a play with your mistress? Ex-mistress. Yeah, her hair is totally different now. <laughs> yeah, you gotta see it. It's a marvel of modern engineering. <laughs> yeah. But, We're uh, gonna do a whole window about it. Just the hair, not the face. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, she she, you know, agrees... To go, like, under duress, but yeah. she will. Which, again, this is why I don't think they're ever going to get a divorce, you know? Like, you know, he keeps pushing and she keeps giving in mm-hmm. over and over again. Yeah. So, anyway, I have my thoughts on <laughs> yes. the selfish marriage. <laughs> <laughs> then Doris and Grove are talking somewhere in the store. Is it, it his it's, office? It's kind of after hours, actually. Oh, okay. He's coming down and she's right, right. That's some, what it is. You know, she's yeah. just doing some grunt work. Um, but he is saying, you know, you really shouldn't have worn this. And Doris says, it was Kitty that let it slip. And I'm like, no, Doris. It was you that let it slip to Kitty. The worst person <laughs> to slip anything to. Yeah. So don't don't try to play it off. Yeah. But, uh, in, I mean, but, you know, of course, she also did not realize... That it was such an important secret. Right? Yeah. Like, Like again, anytime somebody asks you to keep your relationship a secret. Yeah. Run. Yeah. Just. Yeah. Abort. Abort. Get out of there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, keeping it on the DL, that's one thing. But like being like, oh, you shouldn't have told anybody. Like, dude, people talk about their lives. Mm -hmm. Just shut up, you bastard ginger yes listen we're really letting what happens later color this conversation yeah well it's it's happening oh god is it time it's time oh my god okay we were so angry (laughs) yes i think we were yelling at the tv yes the first time at least like oh my god yeah this scene is beyond the pale skin of a fucking ginger it is it is and look, Gingers, we're sorry. We're really mad at Mr. Crow. Yeah. Our quarrel isn't with you. This is just, this is how we've decided to insult him. We, we love, uh, Ygritte. Uh, uh Egret. E- Egret, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Love her. The Weasleys, they're fine. Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, you know, um, the everyone in Brave. Right. We're fine with them. Yeah, I like all Anyway, them. look, there's plenty of gingers we like. We yeah. just hate this one. Yeah. He is the worst. <sighs> Take it away, Tom. I think I might go blind from rage. So Grove shows up at Miss Martle's as he foretold. And he's like, listen, I, I, I just couldn't leave without trying to make you feel worse before I left. Um, and proceeds to explain that he was faced with mortality and the fear of dying without leaving any trace of him behind. And since Miss Martle can no longer have children... Which is his fault that she couldn't have one in the first fucking place. Yes. He decided to ensnare the first dim-witted, fertile woman that crossed his path into his evil, evil clutches. Uh... So this is this is difficult enough because Miss Martle says I would have given you a child, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Yeah, well, we didn't, you know, uh, I was I was dead at the time." <laughs> yeah. Well, he says he thought that she wouldn't, and that she was married to her work. Yeah. yeah. It's like, did you ever even ask her? <sighs> no. Anyway, I have philosophical thoughts on Mister Grove once we get past this right. horrible thing that's about to happen next. Yeah. Well, because he says, and and Doris, you know, she has a good, true heart, and she can rescue me from that fear of dying without leaving a trace. Which, first of all, I'd like to point out, Henry the Eighth kept thinking his next wife would give him a son, and mm-hmm. it six times didn't happen. Yeah. So don't don't just assume, yeah. that that's going to work out for you, buddy. Um, yeah, and then he's like, oh, you know, he'll take good care of Doris. He'd never be unkind to her. Uh, she'll never know that I loved another. And I'm like, your dead wife? Is that the salt you're about to lay in this open wound? Yeah. It is not. He actually no. tries to say something kind of nice, which mm-hmm. is like, oh, you are, you are, you were the love of my life. You are the love of my life. Mm-hmm. And she says, oh, well, thank you for saying that. Even if it's not true, I will always remember it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is where I'm crying again because, oh my god, Miss Martle, what yeah. a horrible life this woman has had. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, she's been with this man for 12 years. Yeah. Like, the depth of betrayal is just unfathomable. Uh, until it gets even more unfathomable. Uh-huh. And I don't think that he had this in his mind previously. The first time I watched it, I did. This time I feel like he just lit on this in the moment. I don't care. Hard to say. Either way. Either way. He leaps up from the sofa and says, oh, well, it doesn't have to end like this. You know, we could still have our precious Tuesday nights. Uh-huh. I can just tell Doris that I'm staying at my club one night a week like I always have. And Miss Martle is like, excuse me? Yeah. She is so offended. Yeah. And we are offended for her. We are. Because he's like, oh, no, no. Doris never need know. And she's like, but I would know. Yeah. And I couldn't do that to Doris. And I, like, stood yeah. up and cheered. Mm-hmm. I was like, you go get it with those suffragists. Yeah. Because this is the thing about Mr. Grove. He doesn't in any way conceive of women as being people. Right. They are vessels and objects to him. Right. They are... He's made that perfectly oh, clear. Oh, he has made it perfectly clear. It's disgusting. Yeah. It's just gross. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just... And he doesn't even realize that he's doing it. I mean... Yeah. And that whole time when he was so upset after his wife died, he wasn't upset because his wife had died. Mm -hmm. He was upset because it made him think about his own death. Which, hey, guess what, idiot? We all think about our own deaths all the time. Yeah. Like, grow a pair. Like, did you think you were going to get out alive? Right. And I mean, even if you do die and leave, you know, 
what difference could it really make? Right. You know, you can still leave relationships behind and you can still leave, you can have an impact without, you know. I mean, who's the chief of staff at Selfridges? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, uh, anyway. Yeah. Miss Martle says, uh, I'd like you to leave now, please, Roger. And I was like, we'd all like you to leave now, please, Roger, and never return. (laughs) But unfortunately, he works at Selfridges. So this seems like an unlikely outcome. But it is just. And again, top-notch work by both actors mm-hmm. because i mean i feel bad because i really <laughs> do feel animosity like toward that act <laughs> no i know Although we did find out that he did actually leave his wife oh for right someone he was in a play with yeah uh which you know Look, listen people have their lives yeah like it, this isn't leaving, a simple leaving somebody no like th- this yeah. goes far beyond well and somebody in today's day and age is a completely different proposition right than leaving them in edwardian england yeah but yeah so just oh just both of them did a great job but i'm so upset yeah mm-hmm. god even if it's not true i'll always remember that yeah god, that is that is one of the most heartbreaking things i've ever heard mm-hmm. it is just i have a pain in my stomach that feels like a knife when i think about it yeah it's appendicitis. We gotta go to the hospital. <laughs> gotta finish this podcast first. That's right. Don't rupture appendix. <laughs> We're dedicated. So time for a little light relief. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Mr. Crab is giving instructions in the staff on curtsying. <sighs> These bitches are being assholes to Mr. Crab. They are. Okay, because Mr. Crab, you can kind of tell that you can, uh, you know, like titter at him. Yeah. You know. What's he going to do, crab at you? <laughs> yeah. Whatever, I'm team crab. Mm-hmm. I would have curtsied correctly, Mr. Crab. I know. Uh, they they realize that the elevator operators... Uh, Look can't... like dum-dums when they try and do a deep curtsy <laughs> through the king. Right. So he advises them to bow instead, and everybody... To keep... do a boy's bow. Yes. And that's when they really mm-hmm. laugh at him, I think, because he's not doing a gentleman's bow, he's doing a boy's mm-hmm. bow, and oh, he's an old man! <laughs> Someone invent television! Yeah. Well, you know, look, you get a bunch of retail employees together. That's a good point, as you can speak to from many, many years of personal experience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anytime I'd have a get together with my retail pals, it was just giggles from dawn till dusk. <laughs> it was. Or dusk till dawn, yeah, more accurately. Generally speaking, yeah. yes. Giggles and drinking. Oh, yeah, especially drinking. <laughs> giggles and. Giggles and drinking, a life in retail. Yeah, uh, retail's horrible. Yeah. If you're not drinking, if you're on the wagon, God help you. Yeah, indeed. This is not advice to anyone who's currently on the wagon right. in retail. Well, literally, God help you. That's that's the whole thing. Oh, right. That's the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, 12 steps or whatever. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that a movie? <laughs> uh, sure. Leclerc finally gets into Mr. Selfridge's office. And, uh, you know, Mr. Selfridge's optimisming his way around the office like he does and he's excited about the king and Leclerc's like listen I regret to inform you that I have to tender my resignation and this is scary yeah he turns on a fucking dime yeah he just snaps yeah and just and this is the only conflict we've ever seen the two of them have mm-hmm. and it is horrifying how quickly he inflicts his temper on Leclerc yeah he I mean it's and just almost shocking and leclerc is is 
shocked as well. No, because he's been his number one supporter, and mm-hmm. I wouldn't say they're confidants per se, but they have they have that kind of working relationship where they're very close. Mm-hmm. And uh, so basically, Selfridge just goes off on this tangent, or uh, not even a tangent, just a rant about how dare you do this to me today, you know, when the king is coming and, you know, but it's all like, it's so petulant and it's so like, how could you ruin this important day for me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Leclerc has already offered to stay until his replacement is found and Selfridge is like, don't bother, get the hell out. Yeah. And then uh, Monsieur Leclerc says something to him. Mm-hmm. In the way of goodbye, and we never quite got what it was. Right. I had written down, like, the best transcription I could come up with was, I wish you other wish yourself, which is clearly not what he said, but we cannot... Maybe he said, I wish you all you wish you sh- yourself. Oh, Maybe. yeah. That could be It took be not it. looking at the actor. Yeah. No, yeah. but I think, I wish you all you wish yourself. Which, again, I'm sorry I'm getting so weepy, everybody. It's <laughs> well, it's just the finale. Like, I know. <laughs> He's just such a nice guy. Yeah. He just wants him to be happy, and he knows he's just being a dum-dum. Yeah. <sighs> Mr. Leclerc, I can't believe he's leaving. <laughs> it is. No, it's rough. He's going to uh, J. Walter Thompson, which is uh, actually an advertising agency. Oh, my God. Yeah. <gasps> mm. Edwardian and Mad Men. You're- What's up? You're gosh darn hey, right. he's already running the joint. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, that's interestingly, that's what he's doing. He's, you know, not going to be tied to a specific store anymore. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's, I mean, he's pioneering, you know, a uh, visual merchandise consultancy then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well played, Mr. He Leclerc. He is indeed playing it well. Uh, bon chance. <laughs> yeah. We wish you all you wish yourself. Yeah. And Valerie too. <laughs> Even though we're sad. Yes. Uh, we, we see the window for the king, which is uh, unimpressive. I, yeah, I'm not thrilled with this window. Like, I yeah. get it. But also, like, it's just, I don't know. Because they got that done before we got there. Right. So, anyway, whatever. Yeah, anyway. You know, we believe in, you know, democracy. So, <laughs> yeah, whatever. That's true. Uh, and we, we see the king arrive. He's... He is the walrus, goo goo gachu. He is. He's the he's the Murray of this series with a mustache and a fat belly, which yes. does not go unremarked upon by Violette. Who no. says, "Have you ever seen such a like a big tummy?" And I'm like, "It's not that big." No, and have like, you ever seen a pregnant lady? Like, uh, yeah. Well, maybe not. But <laughs> possibly. No, I mean, like he's like he's he, a big yeah, guy, he's, but he's not like he's not like outstandingly no, big. Like you, know, you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't even think of somebody to, like, use his account. He's not John Goodman. Right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, the kids... And the kids are all up on the second floor, leaning over the railing to see everything. Which seems super safe. These kids are only comfortable when they're on a stairway or leaning over a it's railway. It's because of those emotion railing. stairs. <laughs> yeah. Apparently. Uh, yeah, apparently. Uh, but anyway, Harry... Parenting. The Selfridge way. <laughs> Get a lot of stairs. 49. Wink. It's a callback to the terrible joke I told before. Excellent. Great. <laughs> uh, so Harry's talking to the king, Eddie, and he's, you know, just sort of saying... I do enjoy this. Yeah. This is actually, like, because I don't yeah. give a shit about the king. Right. But I did enjoy seeing this guy as a character. No, we I... we talked yeah. about him so much. Yeah, no, I actually did, too. We finally, I mean, it's the namesake of an era, and we, we've finally seen him portrayed. Um... But you know, he's just complimenting him and saying, "Oh, you've you've 
I've built a palace here and better furbished than any of mine. He's like, oh, I wouldn't say that, you know. It's like, no, seriously, all of my furniture is from the 12th century. <laughs> right. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he, he asks how he found England and, what, you know, being an American, were there any trouble? And he's like, oh, I had a bit of trouble with the press, but the public has always been, uh, you know. The British are always willing to give a man a chance or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And he, he then goes on to say that, oh, you know, and of course, I was uh, able to always lean on the advice or whatever of Lady Loxley uh-huh. here. And the king is like, ah, oh, yes, that whore that married my cousin. She's like, yes, that's me. <laughs> uh, and Rose is there, you know, not enjoying herself, but right. bearing but, up as best she can. Yeah, yeah. Playing uh, along. So the king... The king says, you know, he wants to shop and he's brought money. <laughs> yeah. He wants he wants to do it up properly. He's never been shopping before. And everybody's <laughs> yeah. like, what? Because, like, you know, Mr. Selfridge, as with all of his guests, is like, you're not paying for anything. Just <laughs> right. being here. But, you know, the king's not having it. He he marches up to accessories. Like, there's your first mistake, buddy. <laughs> right. But he says uh, to Doris, who looks like a king <laughs> in headlights. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's just her nose. Yeah. Uh he says, ah, you know, what do you think? I'm, I'm shopping for a special lady, something, uh, frothy and delicious. <laughs> and she's like, ah, uh, this is accessories. I think you want the palm court. <laughs> but fortunately, Miss Martle steps because Doris just stands there for yeah. like a full 10 seconds. Yeah. And can't yeah, do anything. She's paralyzed. And she says, how about this brooch shaped like a dog? <laughs> Which I'm like, what a horrible thing to sell the king. I know, but he loves it. He does. He absolutely loves it. He says that the lady in question, he's very careful not to name the lady. Right. Or give any indication of their actual relationship. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming he's buying this for one of his numerous mistresses. Right. Uh, you know, shine on, you wacky king. Had I ever finished that book about him, I might <laughs> be able to shed more light on that, but I did not. I like how I'm so upset about, <laughs> about like, the Selfridge situation. But, I mean, I don't know. He and his wife didn't really like each other. Yeah. You know, I mean, like, they were royals. Royals just can have mistresses. Yeah. You know, everybody gets it. It's it's the law. As long as everybody's consenting adult, it's fine. Well, right. Absolutely. Um, oh, no, not the Selfridges. About the Josie and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, okay. Anyway. Yes. That bad. King mistress? Eh. Yeah. I got no issue. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So he, he says he'll take it. One of his random servants, like, tries to just, just has a giant wad of money and is like, here, how much is this? <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Selfridge is like, we'll sort that out later. Yeah. Because they probably brought, like, a thousand pounds. Oh, right. They were like, how many pounds do things cost? And he was like, cost? <laughs> yeah. What does this cost? <laughs> Yeah, he says we'll sort it out with your equerry. Mm-hmm. And the king says, now you can all tell your friends that I'm a man of the common people. And everybody's like, we're not going to fucking say it. Oh, no, wait! Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, somebody actually does say something. Yes. <laughs> Mr. Villiers says, I'm sure we will all have a lot to tell our friends. <laughs> Which, bam, man, to his face! What if she's also a socialist? Wouldn't that be fabulous? Yeah, I mean, it's possible. I, I mean, I mainly want think Mr. she's... Villiers to be the woman I always dreamed I could be. <laughs> I mean, I think she's probably just a Republican, but... Okay, well, that's close enough. You know, in the foreign sense of being anti-monarchy. Yes. Yeah. I I understood, but thank you for explaining. Indeed. Uh, he then invites uh, Selfridge down to Sandringham, which was his country estate, mm-hmm. uh, which I believe we touched upon. <sighs> I think we've mentioned it. We've mentioned. I think we mentioned it 
more on a, a repeats history fashion backwards context. Yeah, yeah. It, it was mentioned frequently in the shooting party, which again, I can't express <laughs> to you enough to not read. Uh, but they were constantly in the shooting party comparing their revels to Sandringham. And, and the wife in the shooting party was one of his mistresses. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of, there was a lot of talking about the king in that. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, uh, come on down to Sandringham. Uh, here you like the gambling and the women. We have lots of boats. <laughs> Just stay away from my ladies. Oh, right. I'll yeah, because he was the one who like talked the potential lover of his yes. friend out of. Yes. Oh man, Eddie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he. He was a rake. He was. He had... again. I find it hilarious that I find that hilarious. But I guess once you've accepted like that, your life is being a monarch. Like, right. What else can you do? Yeah, he can't get a job. Yeah, or even go to the store. Right. <laughs> It's like when Mr. Burns goes to the store. <laughs> yeah. He's like, hmm, where are the Burns? <laughs> ketchup? Ketchup? <laughs> ketchup? Ketchup? <laughs> uh, again, I really hope that you all enjoy that as much as I do. Yes. Well, I do. Thank you. As the king is sort of shuffling out, uh, Victor pulls Agnes aside and asks her up to the palm court. Uh, and and she goes up, and he's got it all set up and laid out for a romantic dinner. She is uh, carrying a tiny box, hence her nickname, old Tiny Box Towler. <laughs> I just feel like she looks so perfect carrying a tiny box. She does. She should. She, she should, should just sh- always have a tiny box. Yeah. They could start carrying them in accessories. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the rage. Yeah. They are... Uh, they don't seem... To, because they talk about that this was, you know, from, mm-hmm. like, the first episode... Um, and they don't seem to be worried about getting fired now. Um, although since Selfridge apparently has a no firing policy at this point, yeah, I guess they, g- can, a good they point. can just go no, ahead. Like, her face when she walks in, I just feel like she's like, ah, we're about to have a stupid conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I oh. may be projecting a bit. Oh, you think I'm impressed? <laughs> I've seen a French cock. <laughs> more than I can say. Uh, also more than I can say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, I'm trying to think Cousins. back through like some. Any- Do you have a French cock? <laughs> Do you have any pictures of it? If so, <laughs> we don't. I no. can't explain to no. you how much we don't want to hear your we story. <laughs> I just. <laughs> oh, again, French cousins. You don't deserve the drubbing in this podcast. It's true. Um. You know, that said, they have a whole conversation about the journey that they've been on these past indeterminate amount of time. And uh, he says last time that he had asked her to dance, but she was too shy. What do you, th- you know, and he says, what will happen if I ask you this time? And she says, why don't you find out? So he gets up and holds his hand and is like, may I dance with you or she whatever? She says no. I know. That would have been great. It would have been great. But, but she doesn't. She, of course, gets up and dances with him. No, and like when he, he gives her a sherry, he remembers that she likes sherry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she drinks it. And she says, delicioso, like with perfect Italian yeah. pronunciation. And he's like, oh, you know, that's very good. And I just want to be like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Mr. Leclerc told me to say that. <laughs> he's the one who calls me old tiny box uh, towel. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, tiny box. Oh, Agnes would never kiss and tell. No, that's true. She's too, like, you know, classy. Yeah, she's pretty classy. I know. Not like us. Nope. 
Not like Zoidberg. I kiss Tom all the time. It's true. On the face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In front of everyone. I sure do. Yeah. I don't care who knows it. Clearly. <laughs> Apparently not. No. <laughs> this is this is quite the scam. We're never going to be received by the king now. Uh, well, uh, he doesn't know how to shop, so <laughs> I don't really care. That's that's a fair I'm point. I'm on Team Revilius on this one. I'm like, <laughs> who gives a shit? Agreed. I'm trying to get the vote here. Absolutely. While it's- they were dancing, though, I was like, I miss Reg Talmud. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... I wish he just come smashing through one of the windows. Like, hey, I'm out of money. I think I left some gin here. <laughs> oh, Trunky McGin. I'd pour out some gin, but I never touch the stuff. <laughs> it's true. Well, you pour some gin out for him, he might show up and lick it up. Fair point. Yeah. It's opening night. Of a new play by Tony Travers. Which doesn't have a title. Like, we see a new play by Tony Travers uh, starring, starring Miss Ellen Love, Ellen Love yeah. with a picture of Ellen Love. But no point do we see the title. Like, maybe the king gets to name it? Uh, yeah. You know that old British custom. <laughs> the king names all the plays. <laughs> right. Why do you think many, so many of Shakespeare's play titles make no sense? That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All's well that ends well. What? Have you seen that play? <laughs> Seems a little ambiguous. Look, it's what she said. <laughs> so, Mr. Selfridge... Well, okay, so we see arriving. We see Mrs. Selfridge, Ma Selfridge, and Rosalie are all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Selfridge goes backstage right. to Ellen Love's dressing room. In a see, look, ill-considered okay. move. Listen, we don't I, get I, it. I understand this impulse a little bit, but it's like such a bad move. Yeah. Like he's trying to go back there as a show of goodwill. Right. And be like, oh, hey, you know, it's been a couple months. Maybe everyone forgot about everything. <laughs> right. Uh, but I can assure you that the chilly reception he receives <laughs> indicates that no one has forgotten anything, least of all Mustache. Yes. Mustache's entire demeanor toward him uh-huh. has changed. Yeah. It is Antarctic. Yeah. And so he comes in and, you know, for the first time, Travers, or I guess Travers usually says hi to him first. But for the first time, Travers actually seems like to not be like hiding under a mushroom. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, like, you know, they're all like standing there awkwardly and Harry's like, oh, didn't you want to talk to me about something mustache? And yeah. mustache is like, oh, no, I'm going to Paris for an indeterminate period of time. And Harry's like, OK. Yeah. And he's like, oh, and just remember, Harry, you reap what you sow. And he's like, what the shit are you talking about? No, I know. I mean, I have to say and I know, you know, mustache is in a tight spot or whatever, but he could have been a bit like it was one conversation that yeah, was and very he made, odd. He made a decision. In the space of two hours. Right. Well, again, uh, I've never thought he was that great of a person. Well, true enough. But, like, still, it does seem excessive. Like, you're you're throwing over Harry Selfridge to hang out with these fucking degenerates? <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not going to sit here and give a treatise on, like, Mr. Selfridge's moral character. Well, right. But it just seems like you could have made some effort to figure you out. You could have been like, hey, you're a dick to me. Why yeah. are you a dick to me? And you could, well, and it was also, you know, if you had been less concerned about your dignity and trying to be all British and it was like, oh, a spot of bother and so mm-hmm. forth, you know, if you had just said, like, just tried to get through to Someone's it. Someone's going to break my leg. Also, so the way that he decided to make money was to write a play. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, no disrespect to the theater. Right. I mean, and granted, it's a play that's being put on for the king for reasons that no one understands. <laughs> right. But, like, 
That's it's not a long term proposition. Yeah. What's he gonna do in Paris? It's it's <sighs> he's the worst. Right. But anyway, so he and Tony Travers inexplicably leave and leave Harry alone with Ellen Love. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you know, no hard feelings. And she's like, oh, not on my part. Mm-hmm. And then she has this moment. And I think that uh, Zoe Tapper plays it really great. She's mm-hmm. like, Harry, I don't think you're going to like the play. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I like everything except that rotting temple. <laughs> uh, and she's like, yeah, well. So he goes up and he he sits in the box and yeah you know uh they're all being like oh what's what's the play what could it be about although they've got programs yeah and rosalie asks what does satirical mean like you're 17 years old yeah you should, do they th- do british people think that we don't use that word in america like is Maybe. that like because because we do we use it we're doing it right now <laughs> right so yeah, so so Harry says, "Oh, it's supposed to be you know very modern." And yeah. Ma Selford is like, "Is this appropriate for a young girl?" And I'm like, "Isn't it too late to ask that question?" And Harry's like, "Oh, I'm sure it's all going to go right over our heads." Yeah. And uh, then the play starts. Yeah. Well, first the king arrives. Oh, the king does arrive. Oh, I loved this part. Yeah. Because the king arrives, you know, and they all have to stand until he's seated. Right. And then uh, the woman he's with doesn't come in until after you know he's kind of done his whole pomp and circumstance thing so Mm -hmm. clearly one of his mistresses because if it was queen alexandra you know they both would have sat down you know Mm -hmm. together and uh that was just fun to see i'm like are you the lady that he bought the dumb brooch for (laughs) did you throw it back at him and be like why would i want this yeah well it just what struck me too like what a tedious life being king right because it's a boring five seconds for everybody in the audience but they don't have to do it that often exactly he has to stand there and let people look at him for five seconds like every couple of hours his entire life yeah like oh god so uh tom clearly no aspirations to overthrow the government and uh become king no if the nsa is listening which (laughs) they are i I can only assume that you are right well well done you guys (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we're all in favor of the nsa yeah, that's right love it. acronyms mm, fantastic if, if anything in our private email says otherwise that's uh just for show uh sometimes we get hacked <laughs> <laughs> that's just for show <laughs> uh yeah so the play begins yes. and this nameless play makes the murder of gonzago look <laughs> subtle yeah it <sighs> is awful and well and it's like it's done in the style almost of a restoration drama right exactly the like character names yeah the the style of acting no it is exactly a restoration it's exactly drama. like the school for scandal yeah or you know she stoops to conquer all that stuff yeah exactly and it just like this is 1910 or whatever yeah, it is and so it's you know tony travers is playing some thinly veiled version of himself and I don't even understand the first scene because they're in the drawing room of a character named Lady Lushington, Mm -hmm. which that's not even a good name. She's never drunk. No, that's not her. You know, there's plenty of things to, to, you know, mock her for. And they do. But she's not a drunk. No. Uh, I guess you couldn't call her Lady Sluddington (laughs) in those days. But so and then and Ellen Love is like little Jenny dish mop or something. Right. And and like so there are these like two innocents who've been drawn into this, you know, world of upper class intrigue. And like they have Lady Lushington, who's you know, clearly Lady May Mm -hmm. and you know, the patron of uh of Tony's character, yeah. yeah. Who I'm not even gonna bother naming because whatever. Yeah. Uh 
you know, and they quote her like verbatim on like, oh, you know, it's the secret to a happy relationship. Blah, yeah. Blah, blah. And like the audience. And, and she's, am I correct? She's played by a man. I'm pretty I sure. I don't that, think so. Okay. I thought it, it was looked, a man. Well, I guess it would have been period consistent. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it could have gone either way. Yeah. It, it was, was a very ambiguous looking gendered person. Right. But in terms of the like the the things that I'll say on behalf of the show are I thought the the portrayal of of her and the one that we see shortly of Mr. Selfridge oh, yeah. those were like good and they were you know well and clearly based on the performances of the actors portraying them right like I think actually the guy playing the fake Mr. Selfridge is a better actor <laughs> yes I'm sure that guy thought so as well yeah. But so, um, you know, they do that, and then it's the scene where they're at some party, and, you know, old, uh, what's his well, name in the play? Oh, did I skip something? No, 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 sorry, go ahead. Okay. Uh, Horace, uh, sp- uh, Spendrich. Which is, again, right. the phrase is spendthrift. Like, yeah. I know, uh, yeah. like, it's Look. not a clever, uh, anyway, anyway. awful, awful wordplay. Right. So he comes in and he's like, I'm Horace Spendrich. Uh, I used to be dirt poor. It was just me and my old ma. Now look at me. Yeah. <laughs> Who loves me? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's fantastic. It is. It and is. And Harry laughed when the Lady Lushington character came out. Right. And I'm like, dude, she's right there. <laughs> yeah, she's sitting Maybe right next to him. Maybe he doesn't know what satirical means. No, I think... Well, and I'll tell you what, man. By God, this is the easiest crowd in the theater history. Oh, my God. They start... Jay Leno has to work harder for laughs. (laughs) They laugh at every single line, including at the beginning, when they could not have known who these characters were supposed to be representing Mm -hmm. yet. Yeah. Like, once the Lady May character comes out, you can see, you know, then you get the idea. But before that, these are just two random people. Yeah. That are making jokes. And that- why was Jenny Dishmop in the drawing room? <laughs> she was there before the other guy. Right. And I'm like, I just, uh, what is the plot of this play? It's, uh, it's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. So, you know, then, uh, you know, everybody in, in the Selfridge slash Loxley box is, uh, stone faced. Yeah. Uh, it's horrible. It is horrible. And then the play ends with like. Well, and also, uh, as, in Horace Spendrich's first scene, one of the characters comments on him about him that that his wife is uh, running around right. with a painter. Yes. Yes. Uh, and he's portrayed as very, like, lascivious, and he's trying mm-hmm. to, you know, fondle Ellen Love. Yeah, he's chasing a woman around in a Benny Hill kind of way. Yeah, and we see Mustache, like, glowering in the wings. <laughs> yes. Looking at Mr. Selfridge. And I'm like, what are you getting out of this man? Not twirling his mustache, despite the fact that this is the perfect opportunity. <laughs> Uh, yeah if they put that character in the play it'd be like you know snidely whip nose <laughs> yeah um anyway so the play ends with the two dumb characters of tony travers and jenny dishmop being like oh you know let's leave this high society and start a new world for ourselves elsewhere and i'm like is this supposed to be an allegory because all well, you've done is just you know leverage the intimate knowledge you had of these people <laughs> In order to continue being part of their world. Yeah, and, like, is is the audience really buying Ellen Love as an innocent bystander in this whole thing? Because... Uh, but I don't... Ellen Love is not playing Ellen Love in this, you know? Hmm. I don't think she's playing... Tony Travers is playing Tony Travers. Look, right. I got the sense that the Mr. Selfridge character was minor. It seemed like he came in very toward the end. Okay. And, I mean, you got to think, you know, Tony Travers has years of dirt. That's no, and, that that makes sense. And look, and it's his play. It's right. his axe to grind. Right. Fair you enough. Know, he put in the Selfridge stuff to lock down Ellen Love. Right. All right. Yeah, okay. You know, he wanted a name. 
Yeah. Uh, like, oh, isn't Ellen Love still like ridiculously famous? You would think. Anyway. Um, we also interspersed with the plays a couple of shots of uh, Monsieur Leclerc writing a letter and uh, walking out of the store. It's- I just love him. Adieu. I just really hope he comes back. I hope so, too. Even just, like, for a day. I know. Monsieur Leclerc's day out. <laughs> so the Selfridges <laughs> arrive home, and uh, Fraser... Well, Rosalie storms out of the box. Yes. <clears throat> because she has put two and two together yeah. about old Roddy the Rodent. Right, right. You know, despite his absence from their lives, mm-hmm. oh, his presence will be felt. <laughs> Yes, and they uh, and and Lady May attempts to assure everyone that she'll shut the play down within a week. Right, but you know, everybody that generally is, feels that the damage has been done. Exactly. Yes. Um. So it is cold comfort to them. So so when they arrive home, Fraser walks up smiling and is like, "Oh, how was the play?" And they're all like, uh, "Fuck off." <laughs> and he says he says something about uh, it wasn't entirely enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then Ma Selfridge is like, oh, Rosalie, let's go to bed so your parents can have a big argument. And Rosalie shows some spunk and mm-hmm. is like, uh, I'm not a kid. She, uh, she's like, mother, why didn't you tell me? I still would have hated you, but at least I would have understood. And then mm-hmm. she storms off. Yeah. Ma Selfridge runs after her. Harry's like, hey, let's go sit up and hang out. And she's like, I'm just going to bed. Yeah. She's like, I'm done. Yeah. And... It's just, it's not fun. It's not cool. Yeah. He's bummed out. She goes upstairs and sits and looks in her sadness mirror. A lot of mirrors in this show. Yeah, there are. That's, it's been a, it's been a definite, yeah. like, choice. Um, but so she's up there with her hair down, sadly looking to her mirror. But then she comes downstairs where he's just staring at the fire and he's mm-hmm. like, well, 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 Bertha Rochester, we meet again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they, you know, they kind of try to have it out with each other. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's worried that she's going to leave him. And, you know, she asks, why do you need other women? And he's like, I don't know. He says he's just a fool is all. Mm -hmm. That's the truth. And that unsurprisingly doesn't cut it with her. And so she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're going to Chicago. Yep. Chicago, where there's no king and all the American accents are convincing. (laughs) The bears. (laughs) Uh, hey, hey, you guys, did you hear, uh, the Selfridges are back in town? <laughs> anyway, that wasn't very good. No, it wasn't, but we move on. <laughs> uh, so Selfridge arrives at the store the next morning, uh, pushes through a crowd of journalists saying, you know, no comment. He has nothing to say about the scandalous play. And he, he walks upstairs uh, not speaking to anybody. And he walks past Mr. Crabb's office, and Mr. Crabb is like, oh, good morning, Mr. Selfridge. And he says, I assume you read the papers like everybody else. And he says, yes, I did. It's uh, expected to rain, so we're bringing for- forward umbrellas and rain gear. And and he's like, and, and then he starts to leave, and he calls him back. It's like, you know, these things these things blow over. Mr. Crab is yeah. just like the kindest and best of men, he like is. Colonel Brandon in Sense and Sensibility. And it's just nice to know Mr. Selfridge has somebody in his life, mm-hmm. even as much as I disagree with many of the choices that he's made. <laughs> yeah. Who's just, you know, he was just not going to be a jerk to him. Yeah. And it was, and it was so well handled because it wasn't, if you know, he had been. Mr. LeClaire is gone. Right. But because if Mr. Crab had been like overly like pitying or comforting, then it, 
that would have been worse. He mm-hmm. made it clear, first of all, he's just saying this isn't that big. A, it's not as big a deal as it feels like. And that's how I feel, too. I'm like, it's just a fucking play. Right. Like, I understand that it would have a bigger impact. Yeah, yeah. And that people had less to occupy their time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's by Tony Travers, for God's sake. Yeah. We then cut to the... Uh, the family, except for Mr. Selfridge and Ma Selfridge, getting in a car to head off to Chicago. And I, I guess I don't know how much time has passed, but that was a quickly organized transatlantic trip. Like, yeah. Because it gives the impression of it being like the next day, which it yeah. can't have been. But they uh, they 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 were ready to uh, go. Again, possibly narrative economy. At well, work. yeah, fair enough. And I mean, she may have just been taking them to stay in the country uh, while yeah. the the brouhaha. Because that's, that's I was saying, that's, like that's a good point. I have a certain amount of issue with Rose taking the kids with her because mm-hmm. I'm like, I mean, you know, I don't know, I don't know yeah. exactly what the family dynamic is, and yeah. you know, I guess you know, it's like her place to be with them or whatever. But I was like, if you need to go do you, like go do you. But then I was like, what if it is about the scandal and she's trying to minimize right. their exposure to yeah. it? Yeah, which you know, that I can't fault. It's not their fault. Their dad's a horn dog. It's true. Uh, Mr. Selfridge, back at his office, finds the letter that Mr. Leclerc wrote him. There's a, a note, really, and it just says, To the king of Oxford Street, my last window is for you. And, and it's not even a very good window, because it's, it's not one of the kings. <laughs> right. But it's just like, what a nice person. It's a very nice. Why? Why are you gone, Mr. Leclerc? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and we see, we see Victor and Agnes standing together looking at that window. Uh, and then we see Mr. Selfridge clearly well after hours walking across the sales floor. Uh, and he happens across George Taller, who's pushing a cart along for whatever reason. And he, he remembers George and he says, hello. And then, you know, and he says, you know, I used to do your job once. Remember that. And it's like, oh, you mean I could be a big man like you someday? It's like, no, of course not. <laughs> I, I'm just saying I could do it better than you. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's getting a bit of the old Selfridge spunk back. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and George, uh, is just like, oh, you've got everything with your money and your family. You've, you've got such a good life. And Mr. Selfridge is like, yeah, thanks. And, uh, we end on Mr. Selfridge standing alone in his empty store. Yeah. End of season one. And we have to say, like, we're pretty impressed. Yeah, I mean, overall. I didn't like the last two episodes as much, although I liked them better the second time around. Yeah, well, and I, I'm just interested by the. I mean, they've, I found their choices interesting. Off, like half of the primary cast yeah. at this point. Yeah, like all the other Selfridges, Monsieur Leclerc. Um, it's hard to see that Alan Love is going to be much of a yeah, factor and in Tony the story Travers, anymore. Yeah, Tony Travers, Rodney Temple, yeah. Yeah, Valerie, I mean, yeah. it's it's hard to say what's going to happen, you know, if they're going to do a time jump. You know, I can't see them. It seems like a pretty low-budget series in terms of locations. So, right. Like, are they going to build Chicago sets? Like, Yeah, that's that's hard to see. So, I don't know. I uh, I am excited. I haven't read anything about it, so I really don't know what's going to happen. Right. But, well, uh, and just setting some things in Chicago is, is would be so weird because there's, you the know... The time difference? Uh, the time difference. I mean, I guess there'd be... Well... I mean, just in terms for of of any, you know, there's no way for them to get to each other, yeah. you know, in less than a month or whatever. Yeah. So it'd be just sort of odd in that sense, but you know, 
they'll, you know, who can say? Yeah. I'm sure eyeliner's got a lot of tricks up his sleeve. I'm sure he does. But yeah, just in general, I've been consistently interested in the choices oh, that totally. they've made. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's Mr. Grove turning out to be so dramatically evil, um, you know, just, just all, in general, I've been like, wow, I didn't necessarily think that it would go that way. I mean, the whole Agnes LeClaire thing. Oh, totally. Like, uh, the Grove Martle thing. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just exploring really interesting things. Yeah. And we're looking forward to more. We are indeed. Which brings us to the end of Mr. Selfridge coverage. Mm-hmm. We'll be back in two weeks, uh, with something exciting. We don't know what. Listen, yet. we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants on this <laughs> hiatus, everybody. So just stick with us. We'll, uh, we'll make it happen. We will. We will. It's, uh, it's going to be great, whatever it is. So until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs, downstairs luncheon out. <laughs>